Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, folks around the world, welcome back to Hot Takes Only. This is episode 45. Willie, we say a lot of really outlandish things on this show. I mean, we have some of the most wild, crazy takes you will ever hear, ever. I mean, we, we just do not care about the spiciness of the takes. If it's, if it's a take and it's spicy, it's going on the show. You had one, my friend, on January 14th. 2021 and i want our listeners to hear exactly what you said this was episode 28 of hot takes only this is what willie said okay so i'm i'm picking the braves to win the world series oh no so, mm. oh i just think they were one please don't make a good case today. i think charlie morton is that piece i think in the emergence of Ian Anderson, they're going to get Soroka back. They have, they were, oh, sometimes, you know, it's uh, watching sports enough, right? Teams that are good enough to win, they just need to break through. And the Braves did break through. Now, they didn't win a World Series, but they broke through. They got the monkey off their back. They won a playoff series. And they came very close to making the World Series. And very easily could have won it. <sighs> this is the year. I, I think this is the year. Willie, you said the Atlanta Braves would win the World Series in 2021. On January 14th, the night of January 14th, 2021. It still has not sunk in. But the 2021 Atlanta Braves are your World Series champions. For the first time in 26 years, the city of Atlanta has a big three championship. And I am still in shock to put it lightly yeah and i mean i'm i'm really grateful to to be your friend and have this moment and uh i wish i wish that i was with you to watch that game and you know owen sports provides us with great moments in our life and for the rest of your life owen like this will be the team no matter what happens if no team you're a fan of or any atlanta sports team ever wins another title you can always say that that you remembered this one, you know. Yeah. And yeah. as I'll, one of the things I want to get into later in the show, which I'll do, is I I have a list. I've done a lot of research of all the all these great MLB teams that we've watched in our lifetime that either never got over the hump or won one. Hmm. So the fact that you love baseball too, I'm sure, makes it even sweeter. Yes. Yes. The fact that the Braves are my number one team in my number one sport makes yeah. this so much sweeter. It. It really turns this championship into a true, just, it, it puts a really good finishing touch. It puts a bow on everything. It, it makes this the epitome of what sports fandom should be all about. And, you know, I remember texting you, Willie, July 10th, Ronald Acuna Jr., gone for the year torn ACL against the Marlins in Miami. I texted you that day. I said, it's over. There goes your World Series pick. Braves are done. It's over. How little I know about my favorite sport. Alex Anthopoulos, the ballsy man that he is, goes out at the trade deadline with the team just hovering around 500, maybe slightly under 500. Goes out and gets Jock Peterson after the All-Star break. Gets Jorge Soler from Kansas City. Eddie Rosario from Cleveland. Thank you, Willie. And Adam Duvall from the Marlins. Four players, four outfielders, 
four major contributors in the Braves 2021 World Series run. Every single one of those players had multiple moments. They had their runs, and they had, most importantly, the finishing touch on what was a second half for the ages for the Atlanta Braves. And we'll talk about the whole season in a little bit when we kind of recap the World Series. But going back to the start of the playoffs, Willie, game one against Milwaukee. I remember watching that game at home with my roommate. And the way the first inning of game one in Milwaukee unfolded with a double play, getting the Brewers effectively out of a jam in the first inning, and preventing a run from scoring. In the, ha- in the past, games like that, Willie, always end with Atlanta losing. That was not the case in game one. Or sorry, that, that was, they, they did lose game one, but they didn't lose the series. That's right. And they went on to upset Milwaukee, a 95-win team. They went on to upset the Dodgers, a 106-win team, and beat the Houston Astros. With the Astros having home field advantage, the Lord knows what kind of shenanigans they were up to in six games. Celebrating, ironically, the city's first championship in the same city that the last shot at a championship where, where that dream died for the Atlanta Falcons. Different sport, different players, different year. But it's the same principle that was put to bed by this group of Braves. Every single player made some sort of contribution and made this team what it was for 2021. That when they were driving down Peachtree, they weren't just going five miles an hour. They weren't going 10 miles an hour. They were driving 30 miles an hour down Peachtree. And you know what? It was so sweet every single second of it. We're not used to winning. We're used to coming close, but not winning in Atlanta. Man. How much would you have loved to be at that parade? Uh, I, I, I thought about this, but in my lifetime, after the Super Bowl especially, in 2017, I thought, you know what? The moment the city of Atlanta finally wins a championship, after this, I'm buying a ticket to Atlanta, and I'm going to be at the parade. And it's, it came a lot sooner than I was expecting. I'm so, so sorry, bro. I'm so sorry. It, it caught me off guard, and I wasn't able to, yes. to go outside on the street and in the park and um and then also at truest park after the game the fans like going nuts but you know you made an interesting point on i just wanted to touch on that for a sec you know we'll get into all the individual players and the teams and and the run but i think that just one of the things that made this team different from all the past teams in all the past three years where they've crashed out of the playoffs is just the intangibles, and you felt you felt different this game. And as as deserving and as great a dominant a team Atlanta was in the playoffs, you know the margins are so thin. And Atlanta won a lot of these games. They not only bounced back from adversity from tough losses in every you know series, but they, um, namely Dodgers game three, Houston game five. But they won a number of really close games that just last year, in games five and seven, Braves have two leads against the Dodgers. Game five, they lose seven to three after being up three to two. You know, game seven, they're up three to two, they lose four to three. But they won a number of close games. You know, this year, um, game four against Milwaukee, you know, down four to two, 
against Milwaukee. They come back and they win 5-4 with Freddie Freeman capping off the home run in the eighth inning. You know, game one against the Dodgers. The game's tied for eight innings. Austin Riley, walk-off hit. Game two, they're down 4-2. And they scored three runs in the last two innings to win. You know, fast forward, you know, game uh, six against the Dodgers. Uh, the game's tied 2-2. Two two, and the Braves score a couple runs to win the game 4-2. You know, then this series, you know, game... Games, all the, the the middle games, you know? I mean, game four, where they pulled it out. Game three, where, no, game four. Sorry, game four. Was game four the game where uh, they hit the two, where Swanson and Soler hit the two home runs to come uh, from behind? Yeah, that was, that was game four in Atlanta, yeah. Where, where Houston had just so many runners on base, and they just did such a great job pitching. You know, and then game three. Game three was a, really gritty game where the whole pitching staff was incredible, but it was a really narrow margin of victory. And then of course, game five. I mean, if I'm a Braves fan, oh, and how are you feeling after game five when they're up four to zero, Adam Duvall hits a grand slam. It feels like the whole city is going to party. And then they just blow it pretty badly too. It ends up not even being that close of a game. And here we are thinking this might be another, you know, Red Sox situation. You know, to to me, Willie, it was one of those things where I, so I actually was on the road back from San Francisco for outside lands, as I was, I was telling you before, and I wasn't (laughs) able to actually watch the game. I basically had it on the radio and that whole time after the grand slam and after Houston started to chip away and chip away and chip away. And after Brian Snitker effectively not going for the win, but going for the long game, playing a seven game series, not playing to win game five, mm-hmm. that told me one of two things. It told me that he's <laughs> confident enough in the team that they can still go back to Houston and still win the series. And it also told me that Brian Snitker is, I don't want to say set in his ways but he is not going to let analytics or examples of say Alex Cora and his aggressive moves in 2018 uh, sway his decision-making because very easily if Brian Snitker throws Tyler Matzik in the fifth inning of game five, then we're looking at maybe a five game series. But also if he does that and Tyler Matzik doesn't come through in that game, we're looking at an Astros win in seven games. So to me, it was, it was a mixed sort of feeling where I didn't feel great having the series go back to Houston, especially after, after having mm-hmm. a, a big five, nothing lead or, a, a, you know, having, having a, a situation like that. Just, just the way that game evolved. I think to me, what it told me was that the Braves are not going to give in to getting punched in the mouth again by a very good baseball team. The Houston Astros, as much as we like to hate on them, as much as they deserve all the hate that they get, they're still a very good baseball team. Carlos Correa is a good hitter. Jose Altuve is a very good baseball player. Alex Bregman eventually was going to figure it out. And yeah. you you can't keep a team that good down for so long. Mm-hmm. Now, we could talk about AJ Minter for a long time, how it was sort of a, a, not a, not a wrong approach, but it was a, a, a passive approach. 
that led to his outing spiraling like that because he didn't he didn't pitch as poorly as his line would have suggested in game five. He did not have a three runs after what two thirds of an inning. He didn't have that bad of a performance. It was just the fine margins of not being aggressive with your fastball to a number nine hitter. It's not making pitches to a pitcher. It's not getting, it's getting careless with your selection, with your kind of the way you exert yourself. So it was a combination of things. And after the game, it, it wasn't a case where I was like, oh no, this is over. It's, it's happening again. There was that sentiment, of course, but that wasn't the dominant, you know, this is how I feel. There was a lot of, you know what? Brian Snitker played this game really well because he managed Atlanta doing in Atlanta and not getting burned two games in a row by it. Because if it's one game in a seven game series and you have a three, one lead, like they did fine. You know, it's, it, it, it was, it is what it is. It happens. Baseball, baseball is baseball. It's hard. But if you go ahead and manage a game where you don't have to use any of your big arms, yeah, where you get a guy like AJ Minter who has that kind of blow up outing in his locker Unfortunately, I mean, he still has to kind of work that out. Uh, but he, I mean, he was nails all postseason outside of that. He still has that in his in his locker that he needs to iron out. But he did a really good job of of managing that. Brian Snitker did. And he went right back to him in game six. That you're going to go back out there again. And so I, I don't... Actually, no, sorry. Minter didn't pitch game six. I'm sorry. Point being, I think he, Snitker managed the game in game five well enough where he knew that even in spite of a collapse like that, he did not have to use his best weapons. He was good for game seven, game six, and game seven, potentially, if necessary. And he knew the team was still in that good mindset where it's like, well, we've, we've battled adversity all year. We blew a 3-1 lead to the Dodgers last year. We lost Marcelo Zuna to his decision to be a terrible human being. We lost Ronald Acuna Jr. to an injury. And the team is just not doing well. We lost Mike Soroka early on in the year. Ian Anderson missed an extended amount of time. So really, the only pitchers you have are Max Fried and Charlie Morton. On top of, in game one of the World Series, Charlie Morton breaking his leg. They've handled that adversity before. That's not going to phase them. What would have ended up phasing them is if Houston put in the same kind of performance again in game six. Does the series end in seven? Does the series... End in a Houston win in seven games. If the Braves don't win game six, I think absolutely. But thankfully, we will never know because the Braves won in game six, delivering the first championship to that franchise in 26 years. And it's, you know, it. there were so many opportunities for, for this World Series, Willie, to turn into a classic Braves, and it just never happened. It never happened. You know, I think it's interesting. I just want to touch upon what you're saying. Um, obviously it worked out for the team, but I, I honestly think it's a really interesting managerial decision in game five. And I think about the fifth inning. And I think that, so if you remember at that part in the game, so the Braves go up 4-0. Houston comes back, ties the game, get a bunch of runs. Um, and then Freeman hits a home run. So it's 5-4. And I can imagine listening to this on the radio, which Back in the day, man, it reminds me of my dad doing it. It's got to be even more epic that way at times. Um, but they get into a gym, and there's there's two on, two out. And in my opinion, so first of all, I think it's interesting. I think that the decision to pitch Minter, I think you're if we're strictly talking about saving everyone, 
he wouldn't have pitched Minter, you know, because I believe that Minter had pitched in the in games three and four, mm-hmm. and partially, like you said, you know, he might have been tired. Now, first of all, um, man, the walk to Maldonado, my gosh, I mean, that is, if I'm a Braves fan, I'm like, I cannot believe he walked to Maldonado, who has got to be one of the worst hitters in the game, <laughs> sort of position player. Um, so, in my opinion, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, this is the moment. You know, we're so good at home. Up to this point in the playoff, we haven't lost a home game. I'm thinking at this point, this is a big inning. I think, for me, that's the time to put in Matzik. Or if you like the matchup, you know, whoever you want to go to, I, you know. Or even Will Smith, as crazy as that sounds, just for one out. They All they need is, is one out. And then, surely enough, Maldonado gets the walk. And then Marlon Gonzalez comes in out of all players and gets a pinch hit, you know, two run scoring play. So, and you got to keep in mind that at the moment, you know, Max Fried had gotten shelled the previous two starts. Absolutely terrible against the Dodgers and, um, you know, m- more unlucky against the Astros, but still gave up, I think, four runs. So I think it's a very risky play because, you know, Yes, he was saving his bullpen arms, but I, at this point, going to Houston, I don't think you could have counted on Max Fried to pitch one of the greatest World Series starts, let alone closeout games ever. I, I think you got to be operating well. Well, I would love if if he can go five and maybe give up three runs, but I I do not think you could have expected anywhere close to what he pitched. So to me. It's one of those things where it worked out, but you know, I'm not necessarily sure that that was still the right decision in the moment. Yeah, and and Willie, this to me is 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 part of the narrative that got pushed a lot by a lot of the coverage of the of the sport by both Fox and by by MLB Network. A lot of what the narrative was pushed was that Brian Snitker managed this World Series not as someone who is heavy into analytics, not as someone who has approached who has has embrace the modern approach to baseball which is win this game win today win right now he has he he brought the the feel aspect and the baseball aspect back to it what i mean by that is in game uh game two max freed max freed in game two did not have his best stuff but did he get shelled per se i mean was every ball out of his hand just destroyed no 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 the astros beat max freed in game two by hitting the ball where the braves were not yes yeah. that, that is how you play baseball if you're a manager and you have the luxury of having a silver slugger gold glover future hall of famer bona fide <laughs> ace max freed on the mound and he has a rough outing you have the luxury of going up to him after the game and saying you know what, Max? This series goes six games. You're getting the ball back. And you're going to go back out there and you're going to shove. Because that's how good you are. That's how much I believe in you as your manager. Because you are that good of a ball player. I believe you are. And I think you should believe you are. I think that's that's not the worst thing in the world to have happened to Max Fried. Now, if he gave up just bomb after bomb after bomb, then yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough for him to get the ball going into game six. And it was actually, it's funny. I was thinking 
along these lines, when Michael Brantley stepped on Freed's ankle, number one, it was yeah. a wonder that how Freed's ankle didn't get just shattered. But number two, that actually ended up being a bit of a wake-up call for Max Freed because you're looking at you're looking at two on and nobody out. Yep. And Houston's threatening early in an elimination game in their ballpark. What does Max Freed do? He dials up 96, 97, 98. Max Freed does not hit he does not hit 98 regularly. He has it, but he does not hit 98 with any sort of regularity. But the adrenaline and the pressure knowing that you didn't have a great outing in game two, and this is an elimination game, and you are the ace. The guy who was supposed to be the ace went down, so it falls on your shoulders. Big Poppy said in advance of, I think it was game two, he said, Max Freed is a good pitcher. He's a great pitcher. I like his stuff. But he's not an ace yet. He's got to show me he's an ace. As in, he's a ball... He's the guy you give the ball to in a must-win game, and he gets you the win. He goes six strong. No runs, few hits, no walks, six strikeouts. That's exactly what Max Fried did. Max Fried showed the entire world in game six. He's not just a good pitcher. He's not just a great pitcher. He is an ace. Yeah. That is what Max Fried showed the world. So going back to this, Brian Snitker used his 45 or so years of experience in the Braves organization to understand what it's like to get punched in the mouth and be able to get back up in a in a seven-game series and go out there and compete just as well as he did the first go-around, if not better, which it obviously was a lot better. Yeah, so it's interesting, Owen. I think that, you know... A couple of things. I mean, first of all, in terms of the old school approach, one of the things Brian Snicker, one of the things the old school approach, quote unquote, you know, is the kind of the man management, you know. And he had said that he had talked to Max Fried, and Max Fried was feeling great, and he was very confident that he was ready to pitch, you know, and he was also going to be on full rest. And so that's one thing too, right? It's it's like he he had the cop he talk to him and it's that human to human maybe relationships that gave him an indication but but like you I think you also make a great point on I mean that performance and I know they were talking about it on the uh, starting nine <laughs> listen to what they said starting nine it's got to rank up there with one of the best you know world series performances of all time I mean other than the first inning he had basically no stress he walked no one um that start was the best Max Fried, you know, the one of the yes. articles said, like, yeah. it, it would be, it's hard for him. It will be hard for him, even when he reaches his best prime to pitch as well as that against that lineup. And he made such a huge adjustment from game two. You know, he pitched more down, he threw more off speed stuff. He looked like the pitcher that had the sub two ERA in the last two months of the season. And, uh, and so, wow. On, I mean, you know, they did make a great point on, on the podcast when they were talking about, you know, how, maybe the start isn't quite as good because Atlanta built up a little bit of a lead. But that game could very easily go in a different way. If if Freed was leaking early and, and the Astros were to hang around, I mean, that would have been, you know, something. And so I do just want to say, Owen, that it's interesting, right? Because um, they got 
like this was the first argument like re what's what's really astonishing about this right is we, we we talk a lot about how you know in the day and age starters don't pitch very long but it does seem like for the braves this postseason it's been exceptional in that regard like that this was the anomaly you know like they never let ian anderson no matter how well he pitches pitch very long <laughs> um you know and it's but it's like they for once they let a starter go deep and he you know he he, he proved it you know mm -hmm. so yeah i mean for for me it's like wow this is the guy they traded for as a prospect and when we were looking last year you know we we had to see max freed you know be that ace kind of guy for them to win and and he did he delivered he did he showed up showed out and shoved in game six of the world series yeah that is it, it's all the validation you will ever need as as a big leaguer is to know that you went to the World Series, you got punched in the mouth in your first start in the World Series, but you came back, your second start, game six, everything on the line, you shoved. You absolutely shoved, and he won Atlanta its first ring in 26 years. Max Fried is always going to have that in in his locker. Is I was the winning pitcher in game six of the 2021 World Series. And it wasn't just he... he got the win because his team scored a billion runs. No, he, he made it so that that win was a convincing win. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's helpful when you're, when your team can back you up with, you know, a good five runs behind you in, in, you know, next to no time at all. Mm -hmm. But it's another thing to keep the other team down when you have that big of a lead. Cause sometimes when you get a big lead, you just go, oh, okay, well, I've got some runs to work with. I don't really need to be as precise. No, it was foot on the gas for all six innings. And you know what? The way he was pitching, could have easily gone eight innings. Very and, easily. No, no. And he, he had 74 pitches at the time. Um, you're right. He put his foot on the gas. And I saw a quote from Darno, and, and he said after the game, and they mentioned in this, you know, Sports Illustrator, he said, I think it was, he threw, he said, you know, something like, I think he said, I have it here actually. He had the best sinker that he's ever had in his career and the best changeup that he's ever had in his career. And also, the article said he threw more changeups than he's ever thrown in a game in his whole career. Mm -hmm. That's what's incredible. You know, you think about Max Fried, you think about the fastball where he can locate, he can come up and in. You know, you think about the curveball, but man, if he can, if he can throw a changeup, I mean, we're talking about like, wow, you mm -hmm. know. And that was what's so cool to watch. It wasn't like this overwhelming power pitcher sometimes that we're kind of used to seeing, or the one-two punch of like the fastball and like the 12 to six curveball it was he was going deep in his arsenal and this houston offense who was the best offense in the regular season um he like you said he shut down he could have pitched seven innings i don't know and i mean to me it's really interesting right because to me say what you want but we will never know the counterfactual, right? But I would say maybe the Blake Snell start against the Dodgers was a little bit better. But Blake Snell had given up a hit, and you don't know how that would have turned out. You know what I mean? So 
I don't know. Like, do you think this was as good as Blake Snell's start last year? I would say, I mean, like you're saying, we'll, we'll never know for sure. And the only reason I say that is because Blake Snell didn't give up a hit for the first few innings. And the the Dodgers never really threatened until basically they, Blake Snell was pulled from the game. I mean, what was it? What was it? Two hits through through five plus innings? Yeah, he had two hits and nine strikeouts. And no exactly. Walk. So the, the one caveat I'd give to that is I think on paper it was a better start. But the the visual test of being pulled shortly after giving up what I think was his second hit at that point to the Dodgers. That moment robs you of any ability to show that you can overcome adversity within a start. Max Freed was punched in the mouth basically from the get-go with the leadoff hit to Altuve and then the, the incident with Brantley. And what Max Freed showed was that even with that very scary scenario in an elimination game, first game back in Houston after going up three to one, mm-hmm. now three two elimination game, and the Astros have a serious chance to set the tone early in the first inning. Sure, but what does Max Fried do? He does what all champions do: he overcomes adversity. He overcame a very blatantly missed call by Major League Baseball, and we can get to Major League Baseball's just hilarious. Hilarious abuse of the Atlanta Braves uh, in a little bit, and the Braves laughing their way all the way down Peachtree with the championship uh, trophy. Yeah, um, it's it's the ability to overcome that adversity that I think makes Max Fried start a little better. But the stuff that Blake Snell had against the Dodgers, oh my lord, I have not seen a better postseason start than that. I th- I still think that is probably the best start that I've seen stuff wise. I mean. Snell was borderline unhittable. Yeah. The only problem is we won't we won't know if he could get in and out of in and out of trouble because he never got into trouble. And he so made a, maybe that yeah. maybe that gives it a bit of an edge. You make a really good point because you know it's interesting, right? Because we talk about how just how important runners in scoring position is, and Houston in that game four had over ten that they stranded. The Dodgers were really bad with runners and scoring position against Atlanta, and that's credit to pitching staff. But it is a huge thing to get out of trouble. You know, like you said, Blake Snell has such swing and miss stuff down in the zone, and you can never, you know, it's not the velocity, but you got to lay off the low stuff because it sinks down. But we don't know how he got out of trouble. You know, Max Fried, he had a few one, two, three innings, but he not only had the first inning where it was two on, no out, but he had, uh, there was two innings where they had leadoff hits and he got two double plays. And man, how stressful it is to just quick, to get out of it that quickly and not get a couple runners on. Like, wow, you know, and give Brian Snicker something to think about. It is like you said. And it all, the other thing that that does, I think, is also stifles momentum. You know, we talk about this in baseball, right? It's like all you need is sometimes is that big inning, you know? And he didn't allow him to get that big inning. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy um, how well he pitched. But, um, man, I mean, for him and Ian Anderson, I mean, we can talk all day about the bullpen. But what Ian Anderson did in game three was absolutely lights out. And, you know, just to see their development, from last year, this year, Freed, a very good pitcher, 
still not the ace to this year, basically becoming the ace, partially from injury, partially from growth. And Ian Anderson going from a huge prospect that pitched pretty well last year to just lights out in the postseason, albeit a few short outings. Just incredible, you know. Yeah. I do just want to point out, too, I think this is really interesting. So, um, like, the one of the things that makes it interesting, talk about, like, redemption stories, you know? Um, if you talk about the bullpen for a second, right? How well those guys pitched and how well above maybe their ability that they pitched to be birth glass. Like, think about how poetic justice is, right? Like, Will Smith, probably in the World Series, their best pitcher. Will Smith was the one um, who, in Game 5, I think it was Game 5, basically blew the game for the Braves. Uh, or maybe it was Game 7. And then also, uh, A.J. Minter against the Dodgers had one really bad performance against the Dodgers. So it's so interesting to see that two of the guys that in games five and seven were two of the main culprits for the Dodgers coming back from that historic 3-1 deficit um, were two of the guys that, that, you know, were all over Atlanta's success this year. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, and, and it's funny you bring up Will Smith because I will be the first person. I'm at the front of the line. I saw this on, on Twitter, uh, I think, the, the day after the Braves won, uh, at won game six. It was basically a forum saying that I will admit to my wrongdoings as a slanderer of Will Smith, he who perpetrated or perpetuated any Will Smith nonsense or slander. Uh, I'll yeah. be the first person to admit that I, I mean, you can go back as many episodes as you want towards the beginning of the year. Willie, I mean, I, I, you probably remember this too, me talking about Will Smith being our closer and the fact that Mark Melanson led the National League in saves this year at the All-Star break, and yet the Braves decided to go with Will Smith instead. I mean, yes, they signed Will Smith before they got Melanson, but the fact is if you if you can have the money to only get one, you have to make you have to go out and get Melanson if you can, right? Well, no, because Will Smith gave up approximately, and by approximately, I mean exactly, exactly zero runs in the entire postseason. That doesn't get talked about enough. Zero runs. Will He had an ERA of zero. Nobody <laughs> scored against Will Smith. Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. It, it's unbelievable how much of a difference that calendar switch made for Will Smith. I mean, it, he wasn't electric by any means. I mean, yeah, he, he allowed a couple hits here and there, and there were some scary situations, but... At the end of the day, as a pitcher, part of you being effective is having a good defense behind you. That Braves defense, one of yeah. the best in baseball. All all four of them. You have a, a, a certified gold glover in Freddie Freeman and three gold glove caliber players. I mean, you could argue that maybe Ozzy Albee was robbed a little bit. I mean, yeah. Tommy Edmonds is a very good gold, uh, gold glove second base. We'll talk about the awards a little bit later because I do want to talk about Austin Riley. Um but all four of those guys are gold glove caliber players. And the only reason Austin Riley doesn't get more love is because Nolan Arenado plays the same position in the same league. So naturally, yeah. no one's going to talk about Austin Riley. Uh, but Willie, it's, it's astounding to me that Will Smith, of all people, really showed up and showed out. Because Willie, guess where Will Smith is from? Will Smith is from noon in Georgia, a suburb of Atlanta. Will Smith is as Atlanta as Dansby Swanson. Yeah. He, of all people, knows exactly what it's like 
to have your hopes up, to be in that crucial championship winning potential situation. I mean, we're talking about fourth quarter of the Super Bowl up double digits against the Patriots. We're talking three went up against the Dodgers in the NLCS. We're talking three went up against the Astros in the World Series. We're talking three went up against the Dodgers in the 2021 NLCS. And he's the one who gives up zero runs. And Dansby Swanson is the one who comes up with a big hit in the World Series. I mean, it, it's it's actually astounding to me that of all people, it was two Atlanta natives that really showed up and showed out when it mattered most. Absolutely. It couldn't couldn't write it any better. It, yeah. That, I think, is something that would have made Chipper, definitely did make Chipper Jones, uh, but it made Chipper happy, Phil Necro, the late, great Hank Aaron, uh, everyone who's put on a Braves uniform and done that organization proud by being part of part of that team. You know, Willie, I still can't really put into words what this means. And for, for Will Smith, it has to feel amazing for Dansby. It has to feel amazing for every player, every person in that organization who knows what it's like to be in the city of Atlanta. It's got to feel amazing. Cause I know it feels <laughs> so good for me. Yeah, I mean, you hit it right on the nail. And uh, those two, I mean, two of the biggest moments, first off in the World Series, I mean, Will Smith closing out almost all of their wins. Uh, Dansby Swanson with the huge home run, like I said, in game four to tie the game at 2-2. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's an incredible story, you know. And um, it's interesting, you know, because I think that those two guys, um, first of all, it goes to show that when you go on a special run, everyone contributes. And a lot of times it's so interesting, but when you look at the postseason and you really go in depth, it's because a lot of guys like that are just good plays so far above their level. They just get hot and they play great. And, you know, Will Smith, he had a good regular season. I think his ERA was like 3.5, 3.5. It wasn't great. Um, but he sure as hell – you know, rose to the occasion. And to be honest, throughout his career, he had one year he made the all-star team. Other than that, he's been okay. You know, not great. And, and Dansby Swanson, you know, he has been also caused at times throughout his career. But, but man, he, he showed up when it counted. And like you said, those two guys being from Georgia, particularly Dansby Swanson, who always talks about I'm a diehard Hawks, you know, a diehard uh, Falcons fan. It's and how much he loves it. I mean, it's so sweet. It's so sweet. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't script it any better, you know? And, um, man, it, it's hard by the end of the World Series, it's hard not to, to say that, man, like, how could you not root for Atlanta? Not because of Houston, just because of that, but because of, man, like, Atlanta's really, really likable, you know? And Brian <laughs> Snicker and, and um, you know? It's it, it's so funny you say that because the number of times in in my softball league during the World Series and during the playoffs, uh, well, I mean, especially during the World Series, but the number of times that people in my league who I don't know, but I would always wear my Dansby Swanson jersey to softball games just because the Braves were in the middle of you know a big playoff run. Yeah, I would always wear my my Dansby Swanson jersey, and people would go like, "Hey, go Braves!" You know, screw the Astros, and I'm like, "Hell yeah, go Braves!" 99% of those people are saying go Braves because they don't like the Astros, which is totally fair. I mean, I, I, I would be the same way if I wasn't a Braves fan, but sure. I am a Braves fan. So the whole go Braves is because 
that's that's my team right there. Uh, and 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 like you're saying, Willie, this is good. This is for Dansby Swanson. It's for Chipper Jones, who only won one. It's for Maddox. It's for Smolty. It's for Glavin. It's for Andrew Jones. It's for Hank Aaron. It's for Freddie. It's for it's for Jason Hayward, Craig Kimbrell. It's for all the players who came up and and represented Braves country the way that they did. Uh, this one is is for all of them because you know, like I've I've talked about this a lot before, Willie. This. To me, there's a lot of parallels with Liverpool. Yeah. In the sense that Liverpool have a source of pride in having a scouser in their starting 11, in the team at some point. The love that Liverpool has for Trent Alexander-Arnold, regardless of how he's playing, is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. That same thing goes for Dansby Swanson. Because Dansby Swanson, guess what? He's from the heart of Braves country. It went for Chipper Jones as well. It went for Jason Hayward. It went for Craig Kimbrell. Why? Because they're all from Braves country. They're all from the heart of Braves fandom. I mean, they may not have grown up. I mean, Jason Hayward, sure. But Craig Kimbrell may not have grown up a Braves fan. He certainly was when he was playing for them and, and yeah. just breaking records left and right. My point being, Willie, this is this is more than just for the current players. It's for everyone who's ever been a part of Braves country. And we use the term Braves country because it is literally that expansive, like geographically. I mean, we're talking all the way. Like Matt Kemp from, I believe, Oklahoma grew up a Braves fan. Mookie Betts grew up a Braves fan. Jacob DeGrom grew up a Braves fan because they're all from the South. I mean, they're the team of the South, the team of the 90s. So it's expansive. And for them to go so long without winning and to to have that moniker of the team of the 90s and to go that long without a title to get them. I, I got to say also, Joe Buck dropped the ball on that. He had a, such a great opportunity to to call back to Bob Costas's call of the winning call in 95 uh the final out of the world yeah. series caught by Marquise Grissom yeah. Bob Costas says the team of the 90 has this championship yeah Joe wow. Buck could have very easily said for the first time in 26 years the team of the 90s once again has this championship he missed an opportunity there i mean i i know a lot of a lot of mainstream fans may not get that especially you know if they're if they're younger than us but it's still just that's a you know, it's it's one of the Braves' nicknames, the team of the '90s. So, but anyways, we're we're going on a tangent, Willie. I do want to go back to uh, the greater postseason as a whole this year because we had some some outstanding performances, and I do want to show some love to all the players who showed up and showed out in the world's in the in the postseason, uh, not just the Atlanta Braves. Kike Hernandez would have been the talking point of the postseason had it not been for the Atlanta Braves, had the Red Sox gone on to the World Series. I mean, he cooled off significantly against Houston, but Kike Hernandez was on another level going to the ALCS. Absolutely insanity. I mean, what was it, like 13 postseason, 14 postseason hits Mm -hmm. through the division series? Just stupid numbers, video game numbers. Yep. Uh, And we got to talk about Milwaukee as well because – there's a funny stat, Willie, that if you play in Milwaukee in the postseason, you have a 75% and beat Milwaukee, that is, you have a 75% chance of winning the World Series. I mean, it, it, someone so- did a study. There's a, it was a, a look at teams that beat Milwaukee in the postseason going back a couple decades. All time? Really? I don't know if it's all time, wow. all time, but at least lately. I mean, and it's, wow. it was hilarious because you look at the last four years specifically. This year, Braves beat Milwaukee. Last year, 
Uh, Dodgers beat Milwaukee, won the World Series, so that's already two for two. 2019, the Nats beat Milwaukee in the wild card game, won the World Series, three for three. 2018, Dodgers beat Milwaukee, went to the World Series, lost. So that's 75% right there, just in the last four years. It's crazy. Like it, it, it's funny, and it's it's shocking too because of how good of a team they have, and and they just had the luck of running into either red hot teams or just absolute wagons in the postseason. Wow. I mean, that's really unlucky. And um, so, yeah, a couple things. I mean, first of all, in Kike Hernandez, I think he hit over 400 this postseason in the total. So, um, and he had some key moments for the Dodgers last year, too. But so he, I mean, yeah, I mean, if he, if the Red Sox had, um, you know, made it through, absolutely, I mean, my gosh, he would have been absolutely in contention. You know, would have been amazing. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, uh, also, I just want to real quick out there before I say Milwaukee. I mean, my gosh, Eddie Rosario. <laughs> I think he got robbed of World Series MVP. I know Soler hit two key home runs in the World Series. Eddie Rosario was on, as Walker Buehler said, another planet. I mean, what he did in every series, especially the Dodgers series, where he basically won them a couple games on his own. Yeah. Uh, especially that closing game where he, he gets the big home run off Bueller. Was that a was that a, was that a grand slam? No, was, it was a three run. But Willie, yeah. I, I just got to say, I'll let you continue on this on this on this thought. So don't lose your train of thought. But uh, I lost I lost my shit when he hit that home run. I mean oh, that. Yeah. As an Atlanta sports fan, we are conditioned to watch one thing happen in that in that situation. One thing is going to happen in that in that situation. In a similar situation in basketball, a similar situation in football. You know what happens in that scenario? It's a strikeout. It's a a missed field goal or like a kick six or a pick six or something like that, or like a buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter to make it like a like a twenty point deficit going into the fourth quarter. Something along those lines. Work. I was like fully expecting a strikeout. Because that's what Atlanta sports teams yeah. do. Eddie Rosario said, screw that. I'm Eddie Rosario. I'm going to hit a bomb. And he hits a, just a piss missile. Yeah, you were saying I, about Eddie Rosario. No, no, I want to say, I mean, first, and, 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 and by the way, I just want to say this. For the, for the real fans that I feel like, to me, this is just my opinion. Okay? Like, yeah. I think, like, the teams that I care about and, and a lot of, like, people who love sports, you know, like we do, we always remember from a series or from a, like a run, certain plays. And to me, that at bat against Bueller is what, I'll, to be honest, like if you ask me in 50 years, name the one moment that I remember most. Some, I think a lot of people probably say the moonshot that Soler hit in game six. But, um, for me, to be honest, the bat against Rosario. I mean, I don't know how many um, pitches that was. It might have been like 10 pitches. And they were good pitches, and he fouled off mm-hmm. four or five in a row. I mean, he was hit on the bottom of the zone. You know, he was like, they were fantastic pitches from Bueller. Absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic pitches. And he fouled off like five in a row. And, and then Rosario hooks one down the line. And... I got to tell you, I mean, this might be the only moment, but 
as someone who is rooting for the Dodgers in that series, might be the only time I say in my life, but I would rather have faced Freddie Freeman than Eddie Rosario because throughout that series, I wish I knew his stats for that series, but man, he probably hit over 400 in that series. It was unreal. Like how he was tearing the cover off the ball. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, I would love to go back in history on, but um, I mean, for me, it's probably very close to Randy Rosarina last year. Remember in the World Series where he was yeah. just another planet too. But man, I mean, Eddie Rosario, I cannot believe he didn't win World Series MVP. Do you agree? Or no? I Well, okay. So going into game six, I think he definitely would have been the favorite. I think he and Freddie had the, the best claims to World Series MVP at that point going into game through five games. Um, Solaire had a, you know, obviously Solaire had, had the, the go ahead home run in game four and the lead off home run in game one. And those are two big hits. Don't get me wrong, but they weren't as impactful as all of what Freddie and Rosario had done throughout the course of the series, just being consistent performers night in and night out. I will say though, that Rosario did cool off starting in, I think it was game two where he was one of the games he went over. And he kind of came back to earth a little bit. I mean, he was still, it it felt like he was going two for four, three for five, every single game against the Dodgers. But to me, Soler hitting that home run in in game six, that won him MVP. I don't think you can do anything better than that because you look at the body of work for those three guys throughout the World Series. Freeman and Rosario were more consistent throughout the six games, but nobody had bigger hits relative to their number of hits than like the bigger percentage of their hits were big hits. And that was, I think Solaire for, uh, for the world series for the, for, for uh, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I don't say Rosario. I don't think he was robbed per se. I think he, he, he got his props winning NLCS MVP by a landslide. I don't think there's any argument for any other player in the NLCS other than Rosario. Uh, but Solaire just had the the timeliest of timely hits in the World Series. I mean, you, you talk about stepping up when your team needs something and just being presented with that opportunity and capitalizing. Yeah. I mean, that's another at-bat, though, too, because that was a long at-bat, too. Yeah. Solaire had fouled off some key pitches, you know, and he said he was sitting on a pitch, and, and man, he crushed it. Um, And... Yeah, I think you said those those three home runs were were hugely timely, and um, I do just want to say. So yeah, I mean, I think also first of all, I'd have to go back and look, but I do think Rosario. I mean, in the other games, I mean, even when he was struggling, I know he got on base with some walks and he scored some runs when he was on base. So I think he still should have won, but yeah, I mean, Solar had timely hits and. Uh, but what I did want to just say, and I think one point that's really important to gloss over was a uh, not gloss over was um, this postseason reaffirmed. And I, I know we were kind of getting away from it recently. We'd always talk about strikeouts, right? But but the, the home run ball is a big reason why the Braves won the World Series. They just out homered every team. And, you know, I cringe at power, particularly Jorge Soler. I mean, he's around the top – of strikeout rate <laughs> you know he he does i mean he he is going for broke at at every swing <laughs> but um we saw the importance of the home run rate particularly in the world series um they yep. crushed 
Houston and the Astros department. We saw um, the stats, uh, how bad the Astros were in running a scoring position, but if you can get the long ball, you don't need to get one or two hits. You don't need to string together long innings and walks. You can just do it like that. So yeah. I, I don't think we saw, a, wow, like this is maybe what the analytics are, why they're talking about, you know, home runs, right? Because the postseason, all the margins are so fine, and you got to face the best pitching. So, man, if you can just hit a home run, yeah. yeah. It's so, so what I would say is that I would liken it to the three point, uh, the three pointer in basketball in the sense that the analytics say, obviously, and it makes sense because yeah. three is more than two and, and you know, the, the numbers are going to even out so that if you take more threes, you're more likely than not to score more points when it works. It's amazing. Just look at the golden state warriors, but one, when it goes poorly, it sucks. Look at the Houston Rockets in 2018. But number two, it only works in the way the Warriors do it right now. And, you know, we don't talk about basketball a lot, but only works in that way if you have one of the best hitters, one of the best shooters on the planet in history in Steph Curry. It works if you have Steph Curry and if you have Klay Thompson. But it doesn't work if you don't have those guys. Look at look at the Rockets. What were they, like, seven for 44 from three? Are you kidding me? Like, stop shooting from three. It, hell, no, no, stop it. You're going to lose. And they did. Uh, but going back to baseball, it's the same principle. If you have guys who are known, established, just beasts at hitting home runs. I mean, Soler hit 48 home runs in 2019. And the dude knows what he's doing, you know, hitting hitting placatas, as we say. But it's it's a live by the sword, die by the sword kind of thing. It, when it works, it's amazing. When it doesn't, it sucks. You're really bad. And there were points that you really were, you know, you can probably recall, where I was like, I wish that insert Braves player here did not swing for the fences consistently. But, you know, I was even saying in Solaire's at-bat in game six, I was like, please don't swing for the fences. What are you doing? Even in Dansby Swanson's at-bat when he hit the home run too, I was like, don't swing for the fences. Like, what do you just put the ball in play? But, you know, what do I know? I'm, I don't have a World Series ring on my finger because I didn't play on the team. I'm not a baseball player. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a live by the sword, die by the sword kind of thing. And that's just the way the Braves did all year. And I was thinking about this too, as you say, as you mentioned the importance of home runs. So many of the Braves' big moments this year were big home run swings. I mean, the most impactful moments of the Braves this season, this postseason, uh, not including the pitching, because there was obviously Tyler Nutsack. I mean, Matsick. I mean, Nutsack. Giant nuts, balls of steel going out there and shoving every time you give him the ball. Um, the hitting, the home runs, the timeliness of those home runs. I mean, let's go back to Milwaukee. Jock Peterson hitting a bomb off the bench. Not once, not just against the Brewers, but against the Dodgers as well, off Max Scherzer. Yep. There's Dansby Swanson tying up the game in the World Series. There's Freddie Freeman hitting one toward the moon. There's Adam Duvall and Rosario going back-to-back against the Dodgers. And then obviously there's Jorge Soler with his three-run tank that... 446 seems like a pretty conservative estimate for how far that ball was hit. Like some say that ball's still traveling. It hasn't, it hasn't come down yet. You talk about the importance of timely hitting and the importance of timely home runs. That was the story of the Atlanta Braves. Yeah. You make a really good point. I mean, so first of all, the Atlanta didn't have the most home runs of any team in the postseason. They had 23, the Red Sox at 22, no other team, the next highest team was 15. So they were really high up. But like you said, they were timely. And I think that, you know, 
Yeah, Jock Peterson in both the Milwaukee and particularly the Dodgers series, I mean, he was just incredible. Um, and I think that when one of the things we we it's it's like you said, Owen, it's a trade-off because you don't want to have the strikeouts, right? Like the strikeouts will kill you. But when you have when you have that ability, I mean, I would I know I was just saying this, Owen, but like it is like it really happened in the Dodgers, in the NLCS, and in the World Series. Just like the runners in scoring positions that is is one of the most important stats, and I don't care any baseball game because you know, eighty-five percent of the games, no matter who the pitcher are, even if they're great, you're gonna have at least one inning where you've got one or two guys on. And if you can just hit the long ball, like I said, you don't have to strand runners. You don't have to move runners over. You don't have to sacrifice flies. You don't have to get multiple hits. Like, And so I bet you if we were to go back and look at it, we're like, wow, like the Dodgers and the Astros, I would love to know because they're, I, they kept, that was one of the huge themes throughout the, the World Series was just how bad those two teams were in running scoring positions. So like I said, if you can not only get home runs, but timely home runs, that is such a huge key, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they say that the holy the holy trinity of uh, of playoff winning of winning playoff baseball games, the holy trinity, pitching, defense, timely hitting. The Braves had all three, and you know, I think in that department they may have been the most well equipped to uh, the best equipped to do that consistently. I mean, that's just what they had happen all year, and and I remember I remember this very clearly. Opening day, different different cast of characters though. Opening day in Philadelphia, Braves are down by one in the bottom of the in the top of the ninth inning in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Up steps a former San Francisco Giants legend, former mm-hmm. postseason hero, Pablo Sandoval. Pablo Sandoval. Wow! And Pablo Sandoval hits an upper deck tank to tie the game. That moment in that season, or in that game, first game of the season, right at right out of the gate, mm-hmm. that moment is when I thought, "Hang on a minute, this doesn't happen very often in Atlanta. Atlanta is not known for for the clutch factor, but I think there there might be some of that on this team." And then it happened again, and again, and again. Pablo Sandoval had four pinch hit home runs this year. All of them crucial. Oh, and, talk, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. and and it, it carried throughout the team throughout the year. It, it it was timely moment after timely moment. There was Max Fried who had a walk off double earlier this year. Like, are you kidding me? On on July fourth, Max Fried with a walk off double. Max Fried, the pitcher, a silver slugging pitcher with a walk off double. What is this? Yeah. Um, but no, it, it just had that kind of feel to it. Or it's like, you know what? We may not win the division. We may not make the playoffs. But boy, this team is going to be fun to watch. Hitting pinch hit bombs and just hitting home runs left, right, and center. I mean, I, I thought when we got Jock Peterson, he's like, you know what? We're just going to have some fun. Even if Jock Peterson doesn't help us get to the playoffs, we're just going hit to some, hit some tanks. That's it. Hit big boy home runs. Yeah. But, and and oh, and I want to mention this before we, we forget. Um, 
talk about timely hitting and and clutch. Uh, like I said, the sequence I'll always remember in the, the at bat to Rosario with Bueller in the home run. Except for get there was two outs. Darno walked, and then remember Adrianza came off the bench to mm-hmm. pitch it, um, and he uh, got a hit. Like and everyone's like, why are you bringing him in? There's two outs. Like he's your best pitch hitter. Uh, why would you bring him in? And he gets he gets a hit, I believe, down the right field line, mm-hmm. and then Rosario, all with two outs. And it was a big theme last year for the Dodgers. I remember one of the huge themes was two out hits, you know, two two strike and two out hits. So, yep. like you said, there was something there's something different about this team, and like sometimes, and I do just want to mention this too, right? I mean, you know, sometimes, you know. You just need a little bit of 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 magic, mm. for lack yep. of a better word. It was like this team was not gonna lose. You know, Austin Riley and the Dodgers game one. You know, walk off hit. It just it just felt like it felt like watching it on. You felt like you knew who was gonna win throughout the whole postseason. It just had the feeling that the Braves were the best team because they were playing the best. Yeah, they they got hot at the right time. They've been playing. They the second half of the season they had was was one of the better second halves yeah. that we've seen as of late, and the most unexpected. That's for sure. No one was. No one had the Braves storming back in the second half of the of the year. I mean, you. I talked about this in the preview. I remember this. I picked the Mets to win the division because. I wasn't comfortable with the moves that the Braves made. I didn't think Charlie Morton was going to be the guy that got the Braves over the edge. How wrong I was there. Uh, I didn't think that, you know, the, the, the way the team was built was good enough to win in October. But sometimes the way the team is on opening day is nothing like it's going to be during the last game of the year. And for the Braves, it happened to be the last game uh, of the World Series. And they, they, the, the Braves won the World Series, Willie. You called this in January. January 14th, we have the receipt. We have it. I, I literally played it at the beginning of the podcast for our viewers, or for our viewers slash listeners. You literally called it. Like, and, and you know, was it a Trevor Ploof Braves in six over the Astros? No, but you called it two months before that. Trevor Ploof said on March 31st, Braves in six over the Astros. And, and Twitter blew up with baseball Twitter blew up. That's that. it was insanity. So uh, a big thank you to uh, Trevor Plouffe for for having a a confidence in the Braves back in March that I guarantee you very few Braves fans actually had. I said I know I wasn't one of them, and I you know the the cause for negativity and the reason that I'm so just permanently pessimistic about Atlanta sports is pretty much gone now. I mean. I've seen I've seen the Braves win a championship. I mean, you know, I've seen them win one. That's all they're that's all you need. Just one. Yeah. I was saying I was saying recently, I was just like, I just want one, man. I just want one. That's it. And so I think that's an interesting segue into one of the points that I did want to bring up here. Yeah. So and first of all, I'll just say that I think one of the lessons of baseball is you really got to watch the second half record. I think that's yes. by far the most important thing, and we tend to overlook that. Washington Nationals are a perfect example, but I, I was trying to think about 
where this and they're not done by any means, you know. But so this team in 2016, which by the way, who who lost 90 plus games, and I looked up earlier today, Freddie Freeman was the only player on the roster, and they drafted, you know, Ian Anderson, and they got you know Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley and Max Fried and trades and signed you know Acuna and Albies and like so incredible job by the front office, but. I was thinking about where this team, and I wanted to, Owen, to put in perspective how incredible this is, because I was I was doing research on ever from all the way from 2002 till today. The first baseball that I ever watched um, was that I remember watching at least was the 2001 World Series. Do you remember watching that uh, Arizona? Yankees. Vaguely, vaguely, yeah. Because I, I remember, remember being happy because the Yankees lost. <laughs> so I remember watching that. And since then, there have been only three uh, repeat champions, the Giants, the Red Sox, and the Cardinals. Um, but I pulled up some, some of these, and the Braves won one, bro. You'll always have that. And they won one. And there have been so many great teams throughout the history that have either gotten their shot in the World Series through kind of one or two good years, haven't cashed in, who have been good for a number of years and won one, or have been good for a number of years and won zero. And I, I pulled up some of the comps kind of in our lifetime since watching baseball, and I wanted to, to mention that to you. So first of all, obviously, we have to bring this up, and it's not obviously the best example, but the New York Yankees since 2000, 2001 have won World World Series. Yeah, that's in Game Nine. I think they in 2009. I think they they missed the playoffs. I think one season. So that's more of like a franchise thing. But to believe that the Braves now have won the amount of World Series that the New York Yankees have won in the last 20 years is incredible. So here's some other teams. So my beloved Cleveland, who has won a few, yeah. has won a division five times um, since. You know, since that time, uh, made two more wild cards, got to 3-1, and, and lost. Um, the Oakland Athletics, um, throughout various seasons, they're not maybe the best example, but they've had some good teams. Uh, they've made the playoffs the last three years and won the division three more times. Uh, never really got close. Um, obviously, you've got the Dodgers. Who have won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten division titles since two thousand eight, and made two more uh, wild card appearances. Other than that, one World Series title. Um, some other teams that were really good, kind of when we were younger. Um, if you remember the the Philadelphia Phillies, mm. uh, they won five straight and at least division titles yep. from two thousand seven to two thousand eleven. They have one World Series to show for it. Um, then you've got the Detroit Tigers, who, believe it or not, when we were growing up, were good. Um, they, they, they were a team that had their one uh, or two shots they lost. You've obviously got the Mets, who made the World Series against the Royals. Um, they lost. They haven't been anywhere close since, other than they had one ALCS. And then, you know, we also have the, the Minnesota Twins. Minnesota Twins, when we were growing up. One, had a number of really good teams that either made the wild card or won the Aero Central. They never made a World Series. 
Um, and then, you know, like, I guess the one, you know, there are others, but the one, the two more examples you could give are, like you said, the Milwaukee Brewers. It's been four or five years in a row with the same core of players. Hasn't made a World Series. And the Kansas City Royals, who they, they took their shot. But I thought it was interesting because if you think about all the great teams in our lifetime, think about this. There have only been three World Series champions. And to be honest, the only team of those World Series champions, um, the two that were the same were kind of the same core, were those three World Series wins for the Giants. And then the Cardinals kind of had a similar core, even though there was a gap. Red Sox had very different teams in all, all, all of their few. Um, so on how do you feel like this team, like, isn't that incredible, Owen? Like, you know, Atlanta, yes, has, I think it's been the last four years has been made. But now all of a sudden, I don't know where they fit in history. Because some of those teams I just mentioned, Owen, they were like mini dynasties. And they never had anything to show for, especially the Dodgers and the Yankees, right? Dodgers have 10 division titles in the last 12 years, have one World Series to show for it. The Yankees, even more uh, in the last 20 years. So the fact that they won it, Owen, they cashed in. In baseball, it is so hard to cash in. Yes. Or to be good for an extended period of time. Yeah. Um, and they don't have to have the regrets of all these other teams that I mentioned, like Cleveland, who their window closed, you know? So I don't know. It's just remarkable that they got it done on and that we're not going to sit here and be like, man, what this team, their window closed and man, what could have been, you know? Yeah. And so that's actually a really good segue into the off season because I, I do want to, to use the world series and our kind of recap to talk, talk about the off season and what it brings to me. Yeah. The Atlanta Braves have a chance at establishing a, not a Dodgers-like dynasty because the Dodgers are right now are a wagon. They have the resources, and they have the both financially and yeah. uh, talent-wise, and they yeah. have the drive, the fan base that's hungry for another championship, another two championships, another three. I mean, LA, LA sports fans demand excellence. The, the nature of the beast here, number two biggest media market in the country. Um, to me, the Atlanta Braves have a shot at establishing a mini dynasty and to me it is on the shoulders of one player and where he suits up next year and that's freddie freeman if the braves can sack up and pay that man what he has earned and what he will continue to earn throughout the remainder of his career the braves have a chance at keeping together a consistent shot at the world series the most important thing in establishing a a you know a quote unquote a dynasty is experience. Sure. Is the the guys who have been there done that for so many years in Atlanta. I mean, we're talking throughout every single sport. Okay. Every single one of them. The only reason that Atlanta comes up short is talent. They don't have that one guy on the team who's in his prime and has done it all. I'm talking win a championship. I'm talking be an all-star, all-league. All I'm talking taking home every accolade you can. 
Mm-hmm. The Braves finally have that. Sure. They haven't had that since the 90s. They won in 95. They have a chance of doing it now. Sure. Freddie Freeman has done it all. He's in the prime of his career. And then yeah. behind him, look at who they have to be the young core of the Braves. Ozzie Albee's locked up long-term. Ronald Acuna Jr. locked up long-term. Dansby Swanson, homegrown, done it all. The core infield, Austin Riley, done it all, world champ. Should be in the MVP conversation, but baseball writers hate Atlanta again for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, We'll talk about that a little later. But there's a consistent theme, Willie, in that you need to have that experience, that been there, done that, and you're in your prime. The Braves now have that. If they can't re-sign Freddie Freeman and just give him what he deserves and what he's earned, Braves can't establish that dynasty. Because, yeah, you have guys who are entering their prime like Acuna and Swanson and Albies and Riley and and sure. But Freddie Freeman is a bona fide veteran. I mean, he has had a Braves jersey on since 2010, the big league level. He's been part of the organization since 07. He, he is through and through an Atlanta Brave. It'll be weird to look to see him put on another uniform, but honestly, I would not put it past this Braves ownership because they are incredibly stingy and are run like a business, not a baseball team. So and, interesting. And, yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, no I, that's what I'll say on that. On, on that. So interestingly enough, um, you know, Chipper Jones did an interview and uh, I think on the local radio station or something, and he said, they asked him what, quote, unquote, the, quote, the odds, end quote, the odds were that Freddie Freeman would stay a Brave or sign elsewhere. He said the chances of him not signing for the Braves were 10 to 20%. Mm. So still a chance, but not yeah. a good chance. Um, you're absolutely right. If they can resign Freddie Freeman with Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley playing like an MVP, Acuna back, and Albies, you know, that's your core right there. They'll obviously be great. Um, and obviously Max Freed and Dean Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, and Soroka coming back. Yeah. Um, I think to me, so two things. I think one is, yes, I mean, if they don't sign Freddie Freeman, the fans will go crazy. And I cannot see in an Alex Anthopoulos-run team them doing that. It, it would have to be the owners being like, it's too cheap. But there was talk that we... All this talk about, you know, giving him the extension and getting a deal done son earlier, now it's gonna make Braves fan worried. But but I do also wanna say though that you know what really makes a dynasty to me, um and at the level of like that the Dodgers have done it, for example, um is their player development. And their fringe play and their depth. And so for me, you look at the. To me, like, I I'm not sold on the Braves being this like dynasty going forward. And the reason is because first of all, they have a lot of fringe players. All four of the guys they signed at the trade deadline, who are huge parts of the team, are all free agents, as well as, I think, you know, some minor guys like Chavez, uh, Chris Martin, you know, guys like that. So, A, they have to prove, and Anthopolis is very good, but they have to prove 
that they can always have deep teams and they can find players in their player development where they always have multitudes of options. Um, because those multitude of options, which they require, they acquired the deadline one, won them the World Series arguably this season. Um, and so if you take those guys away, you know, what happens? Um, and the second thing is just the bullpen. I mean, we got to talk about it. I mean, coming into the season, that was a big question. And to be honest, during the regular season, they were a good but not a great bullpen. And the three-headed monster of lefties plus Luke Jackson, I mean, those guys performed above expectations. So, you know, can you really count on them to do it again? I doubt it. So, I don't know. For me, going forward, they'll always be good. But to really be World Series contenders, I want to see them prove that they can fill out a complete roster that's a deep team, and also that these guys in the bullpen can maintain the form that they're in. Hmm. No, I, I I'm with you there, Willie. I'm not I'm not saying that I'm not trying to sell to our listeners that. The Braves are going to be a dynasty if they re-sign Freddie Freeman. I'm saying it can't happen if they don't do that. If they do that, they have that potential. But the reason I say they also have that potential is because you look at the last four years. Look at the last four seasons. Obviously, 2021 World Series champs. Can't take that away from them. 2020, their lack of depth, lack of bullpen depth, lack of starting rotation depth, and just lack of general experience. They had the Dodgers within one game of the World Series. They had them up 3-1. And this is this is a team we were calling the best team. We were talking about the Dodgers as a generational team, that that team over the last few years. I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, they're put in the same in the same sentence as some yeah. of the greatest baseball teams ever. Oh, and I think I just want to butt in here and say I legitimately think that this Dodgers team that they beat may be the best roster of all time, because literally, when you look across their team, their lineup. Had no like the bull like the bullpen was all time great, just yep. like twelve or thirteen amazing pitchers, um, a three headed mo- a four headed monster at the top of the rotation uh, with three uh, twenty game winners plus Clayton Kershaw, and like I said, a lineup that just has like the batting champion, two former MVPs. And everyone in the team can hit. <laughs> so you're you're just adding fuel to my point. You're you're just giving my point some some more depth, Willie. Um, but and no, the that, team that won the franchise record. Exactly, yeah. and 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 I remember talking about this. I don't remember who I told it to. It might have been you on the show. I can't remember off the top of my head. But I said when the Dodgers got Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, I said if they don't win the World Series this year, it's embarrassment. And it kind of was a little bit. I mean, yeah, you you talk about the injuries to Kershaw. And, how vital that was and, and Scherzer kind of fatiguing towards the end of the year and whatnot, but Trey Turner going invisible. I mean, a player of his caliber, world series champion, batting champion, like, you know, I I don't, I don't know if you can find an excuse for that. Really. It's just kind of, he didn't, he didn't perform. And the big story I think of that series was um, Trey Turner was a big one. (laughs) So was Justin Turner, but um, Mm. the, the way they couldn't hit the lefty, especially the bullpen. The left-handers out of the bullpen just absolutely dominated. And that's why going forward on, like, I think that there's a chance that we'll sit here next season, 
to be perfectly honest. And A, I will just acknowledge, like, it is extremely rare for teams to win back-to-back World Series. So I'm not picking the Braves to win next year. Uh, I can tell you that. But um, <laughs> but um, not only that, but I do think because of the way how great those bullpen pitchers pitched, because I think they're going to lose some free agents, um, I, I do think that there's a chance that we're going to sit here, you know, next season and we're going to be like, look, um, we're just not as good because we, we overestimated now this team broke through and the core is back, how good we are. I think they're going to, we're going to overestimate how big a, a role those role players played. And so we could be sitting here next season and be like, yeah, this team isn't quite as good. You know? Yeah. No, that's, that's fair, Willie. That's fair. I, just the reason I bring that up though is because you look at the, what they've faced over the last three, four years, the cast, the supporting cast has been different all those years, but the core yeah. has been mostly the same. 18 first division title since 2013 when the Braves, after which the Braves started blowing it up. You figured, okay, well, you know, this team's good, but they're not ready to compete yet. The Dodgers are already there. The Dodgers went to the World Series that year. Um, Acuna, Swanson, Albies, Freeman, Austin Riley, I think, got a little bit of playing time in 2018, but he hasn't really, he didn't really burst on the scene yet. Yeah. Uh, and and that team was a, a Mike Fultonevich start away from the NLCS yeah. that year. And yeah. would they have beaten Milwaukee? Probably not. No. You know, it's, it, or, or sorry, 2019. Uh, would they have beaten? Um, would they have beaten uh, the Nats? No, they wouldn't have beaten the Nats. I don't think. I think they were, the Nats were just on fire that year. Uh, Soto was playing out of his mind. You know, it, it is what it is. I, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any real, uh, real doubt that they wouldn't have done that. But there was a natural progression there from the Braves. You talk about NLDS. Yep. NLDS game five really should have won that game, but Mike Fultonevich oh. decided to be Mike Fultonevich. You know, love what he did for the franchise when he was good, but when he was bad, that was painful to watch. Um, next year, NLCS, have the Dodgers down 3-1, to one, and it's just experience, and they don't have the depth the Dodgers did, they don't have the talent the Dodgers did, and, you know, the Dodgers came back on them. You know, fair enough. Classic Atlanta. But then 2021, they put it all together. You go through that adversity of 2020, you go through the adversity of losing Ronald Acuna, of losing Ronald Acuna Jr., you go through the adversity of losing Mike Soroka and Marcelo Zuna and just not having the core talent that you need, that you thought you needed to win the World Series. And here you are after the All-Star break with Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall, Jorge Soler, and Eddie Rosario, the Fab Four, coming in and delivering Atlanta its first World Series, the city of Atlanta its first championship, not counting Atlanta United because it's MLS because MLS is a joke. Uh, since two thousand, since nineteen ninety five, the year you and I were born, you and I were nine months old when this last happened, Willie. That yeah. is absolutely insane. Oh and yeah. So, my dad you know, remembers watching. In fact, my I, dad. In fact, that World Series, my dad went to all three home games that Cleveland had. I remember you saying to you texted me like this is playing out just like ninety five did, and I was like, dude, I hope your dad is right. It did, and uh, there you are. It did. They it it, it did play like that, uh, Owen, and um, actually very <laughs> in a very similar way, and like many World Series too, where they they have a really 
horrible loss in game five and they bounce back. But you're right, it was, I want to say, it was a natural progression in the team. So I want to say two things. Uh, number one, it was. And the way the roster just kept building and building is a huge credit to the front office. Because like I said, where, where they were in 2016 and 17, where they were awful <laughs> both seasons, lost over 90, 90 games in like 93 or 4. Um, that Freddie Freeman was the only player on the roster. And then 2019, I think it was the first time where a lot of these guys like Acuna was there and Albies was there. I think, you know, Riley was there because they had Donaldson, but, and, you know, your boy Nick Marcakis was in there, I believe. Mm. <laughs> um, but I want to ask, I want to ask you, Owen, um, A, well, two questions. Uh, first, does it all make it worth it to you? Does it all make it worth it to you? I mean, when you're focused on what the result is and the result is 40,000 screaming Southerners at Truist Park, another, I don't know how many thousand outside the battery and through the streets of downtown Atlanta. When you, when it's that, it's worth it. But when you remember how bad Nick Marcakis was against the Dodgers and it's just him and Travis Darno's refusal to swing the bat against the Dodgers, um, it's not that they didn't want to hit. It's just they literally just didn't want to swing the bat at the plate and they the number of backwards k those two had against against the dodgers it, it was infuriating um game five against st louis in 2019 mike fultonevich that sucked um let's see 2018 the grand slam by acuna was a nice little moment off bueller but ultimately you know the dodgers were a wagon that year no real complaints there um but to me the 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 reason that it's all worth it ultimately even throughout these unpleasant moments is just the pain and the, the, the gut wrenching, just giving up, I guess yeah. of 2014. So I remember this day, like it was yesterday, Willie, I was a fresh, a sophomore in college. It was our sophomore year. You had just transferred to Syracuse. They traded up. They traded up. They traded Upton times two Hayward and Kimbrell. And Simmons. Yeah. Basically, every player not named Freddie Freeman was traded. And that was fresh off of a 2013 team that won 96 games. And they decided the next year that just because they won, I think they won 79 games the next year, which is not horrible, but it's not it's not good. Yeah, it's a step backwards. It's not horrible. But they decided, you know, Jason Hayward's entering free agency. We're not going to be able to re-sign him. Kimbrell's getting there. The Uptons are going to be expensive. Or BJ Upton is not, well, I guess now Melvin, but formerly BJ, not living up to his big contract. Blow it up. And as a Braves fan who, you know, who's not used to seeing the team win World Series or really compete for World Series, it was one of those things where it's just like, we haven't, got to the summit yet and then lost. So you think this group of players is not capable of it because you don't want to spend money because you don't want to entertain a contract discussion with Jason Hayward, who, like I said earlier, is from Braves country, grew up a Braves fan, wanted to spend his whole career in a Braves uniform, which is why talking about Freddie Freeman right now is a very sore subject because we know exactly what happened last time this 
last time this thing rolled around. At least for Jason Hayward, when they traded him, they got Shelby Miller, who they then swapped for Dansby Swanson. And that turned into something. But it's it's one of those things where I was sitting in, in my 8.30 a.m. statistics class, and I got a notification on my phone. I looked at it after class. It said the Braves had traded Jason Hayward. And I said, are you, pardon my language, I said, are you fucking kidding me? Right. And and then it was Kimbrell and the Uptons to San Diego. And then it was Simmons to LA, to the Angels. And then it was just, it, it was, it was a, a, a just complete domino effect of pain after pain. And then they decided to leave Atlanta. The Braves used to play in downtown Atlanta. Now they live, then they play in, in Smyrna or Cobb County, which is, you know, it's a nice suburb of Atlanta, but it's not Atlanta, Atlanta. It loses a little bit of, you know, this is a, a team that is very much of the city of Atlanta. Now it's very much of the state of Georgia, but you know, it's 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 a semantics thing. It's they're still the Atlanta Braves. So it it makes it all worth it because I remember how painful that was to be like, hey, there's a guy who is like the face of your franchise. He's like the heart and soul of the team. He wants to be a Brave for life. You know, Chipper Jones is getting to the end of his career. He just retired. Freddie Freeman is the only other player who's kind of like that, but he hasn't really gotten there yet. Oh, Jason Hayward, let's trade you to St. Louis. I'm like, hold on, what? What? Because you don't want to, because you don't think you can re-sign him as a free agent? Because you don't think he wants to take a hometown discount because you don't think he wants to? Liberty Media is so unbelievably cheap with the Braves that I am surprised that, they signed Marcelo Zuna after last year for this season. I was so shocked at that because their hesitance to spend any sort of money drove Josh Donaldson out of it. Yep. And yeah, I brought Marcelo Zuna. Okay, fine, whatever. But it's that kind of thing. It's You can only play with fire for so long. If they keep tempting fate's hand and Freddie Freeman decides that the Angels are going to offer him a, a big amount of money to go play first base and and kind of push Jared Walsh into the outfield. I mean, it would be the most Atlanta thing ever to have that happen. And, and the, the, the sad part is no one would be surprised in Braves country. Like we, we would all say like, yeah, I can't envision them anywhere else, but we know how cheap this, this organization is from the ownership. We know how cheap they are. I mean, this is the same ownership group that said you have to trade all these players. So would I be surprised? No. Would I be absolutely destroyed off a World Series title? As mostly, but you know, you 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 still want a World Series. Freddie Freeman will always be a Braves legend, even if he doesn't end his career in uh in Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, so first of all, um I'm so happy for you, bro. And and yeah, like you said, man, and and um it's it's Freddie Freeman, yeah. I mean, my gosh, I hope they pay. They understand the significance. And, um, you know, the Donaldson, luckily Austin Riley came. And he almost didn't work out. But luckily he came because otherwise, yeah, the Donaldson thing, I think, for Atlanta fans is tough. And and like you said, I can imagine being in that team in 2014 and basically having a fire sale, you know. Um, but that leads to a really interesting point I wanted to make, which is that, you know, you, you've seen the comments, you know, the comments have come out from Scott Boris recently, you know, about not enough, basically to paraphrase, you know, there's so many teams in the LB that are tanking. 
And first of all, it's got to be really hard. So first of all, as tough as it is to go through all the choking, right? It, it's great that Atlanta was good. So again, after tanking, after only a couple of years, because think about what it's like to be a Pirates fan or a Detroit fan, or pi Pirates particularly. I mean, the Pirates our whole lifetime have not had one good team. The only good team they had was when they traded for Chris Archer because they, they were like four games out at the deadline. Hey, we're talking about one of the worst trades of our lifetime. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, a Pirates fan or a Royals fan, a Tigers fan, Orioles fan, or just teams that are not as good as Atlanta, you know, that are that are okay but are never that good. And so to Atlanta's credit, their organization has always been – at least semi-competent enough where they have a plan to kind of be somewhat good. And they're cheap, and they've made some, you know, Coppolella and Hart have made some boneheaded decisions. Don't bring but up those two again. One of, the hardest, <laughs> one of the hardest part about being a baseball fan, Owen, is like you got to go through a 162-game season, and sometimes your team stinks or stinks for an extended period of time. Or, like, you know your team – may contend, but is not really good enough to win. And so, to Atlanta's credit, they've always demonstrated, and Freddie Freeman said in his post-game news conference I remember watching, they asked him what he was thinking in 2016. He goes, I remember going into the old GM's office and having a meeting with them, and they showed me the plan, and I was convinced. So I want to say for all the baseball fans out there, you know, like, have hope. And and not only that, when your team inevitably, your window inevitably closes, like, it's okay, you know? Like, not only those teams like the Orioles in Detroit that I told you that were good for a while, that were bad, and you know, but Minnesota was bad for a long time. Think about pretty soon, you know, Tampa will probably have to blow up their team. Uh, you know, there are lots of teams. You know, look what happened to Texas Rangers, right? Uh, inning away from winning the World Series and they stink. So for all the baseball fans out there that just want their team to be good again one day, you know, there's hope. I, I just want to yeah. say that. No, because that's that's a fair point. And and you know, I guess the the one thing that you know some folks can and probably rightly so call me on is is this kind of sense of entitlement almost that like you know your team was really good in the nineties. You've seen your team in the playoffs. How many different years? Um, it, it's one of those, gra I was going to bring this up earlier. It's one of those grass is greener kind of thoughts. The grass is not always greener. Let me promise you that mm -hmm. after seeing an Atlanta team, that's always been bad an Atlanta team. That's always been good, but not great not, and good. Not good enough to win a title. Having seen both of those in my lifetime, I would strongly argue this, that I would rather be a team a fan of a team that is just abysmal because yeah, it's a long season, 162 games. And if your team's bad, then you don't really want to watch. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's fine. It's, it's not forever. I mean, look at, look at where the Orioles were in the seventies. Look at where the Tigers were even 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's not forever. I mean, you, you don't obviously take things for granted when they're good, but it's not forever. Nothing, nothing in, in sports is ever proven. I mean, Willie, like you were saying, look at the Yankees. 
The Yankees have won one World Series since 2000. One. And they've been in the playoffs all but, what, two of those years? I mean, how frustrating must it be as a Yankees fan to come up short every single time? I mean, you, could, we, you know, we obviously talk about the Yankees a lot because they are who they are, but it's just another one, of the, another, one, another one of those things. Would you rather never be close to the World Series or be agonizingly close, almost make it, but then come up just that little bit short? Either to me, Owen, I mean, I'll say two things. I, number one, you're absolutely right. It's got to be agonizing to be in a situation like the Yankees or like the Braves. That being said, I mean, first of all, as great as it is to watch a baseball game every day, there's something new. The broadcast is fun. I would hate being a fan of. I will, it stinks to be a fan of a baseball team. You're just you lose. You're looking for hope. You're not only looking for hope, and you don't know if it's going to come to fruition. But, um, like you don't know. You know, like the best part of of the season, in my opinion. I mean, almost as good as the playoffs is the chase for the playoffs. It's so great when your team is in the middle of a division or a wild card race, and those fans get deprived of it. You know? Mm, yeah. So no, that's that's a fair point. And so it's like, if I'm a baseball fan, for me, my criteria is, I just want to be able to play meaningful baseball games until mid-August. <laughs> that's my rule I don't want to be out of it by the, I don't want to be seller at the trade deadline I want to go into the second half of the season with a chance to win and, or at least think come close to going to September with the shot but anything less than that it's just so sad you know and there's so many fan bases out there with all the tanking going on that not only all the tanking, but just, you know, the mediocrity that never get that chance, you know? Yeah. And so, no, that's a fair point. I, I think also that it's important to note that Scott Boris is not just any agent. Scott Boris's clients routinely command deals in the nine figure range. Mm. Scott Boris's clients are financially set for <laughs> generations. I want to make sure that's abundantly clear to folks who don't, uh, maybe aren't as familiar with Scott Boris, uh, the the kind of super agent that he is. Um, but but I'll say this, Willie. I, I hear what you're saying about wanting to see meaningful baseball after the trade deadline, mid-August or so. At the same time, making it to the playoffs and consistently either being wiped the floor with in the first round or choking in a big moment, say with the 3-1 lead, every single year. Being close, but not quite. Every single year, uh, comparatively to knowing your team is out of it by the trade deadline. Uh, I, For me, I mean, and this is, again, we can get into this, but I want to move on to the awards a little bit. We could get into that for a long time, but for my money, I would rather just not be in. Because... You can easily temper expectations when your team is out of it. You can just say, you know what? I don't expect anything. If if they do something good and they surprise me, great. If they don't, you know, it is what it is. But if you're in it, if you're in the postseason in October, 
you want your team to do one thing to, to win the damn world series. And if you're consistently coming up short, like you're not good enough to win it, but you're there, then at what point do you just say, why am I here? If I show up and I'm not competing, you know, so it's, it's a big philosophical debate as to what you prefer as a sports fan. I think we have our differences and I think a lot of sports fan would, a lot of sports fans would agree with you. I think a lot of people would, would want to have a team that's consistently good every single year. And, you know, I'm not saying it's wrong at all. It's just a different point of view. I personally don't like that. I don't like being in it and then coming up short or in the postseason and then losing in the first round every year. Cause that's just what I knew growing up. I mean, Oh, the Braves didn't go to the NLCS until since what? 99 after, after 2020, whatever it was after before 2020, rather before 2020, they didn't go to the NLCS 20 years. I mean, how many first round exits is that? 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2013, 2012, 2013, it is definitely a philosophical difference, and you're right. And I think, on the contrary, for those fans, it's almost like the regular season doesn't matter. It's like, all right, you've seen it. We've seen it. You don't got to prove it to us. We know you're a pretty good team. And then, B, it's like, we don't got to get too excited because you're doing what you've done before. All that matters at that point is the postseason. It's like, I'm not going to give you any praise until you do it. So it is a different mindset. It, it kind of, it's got to be deflating and suck the joy out of things. You know, I, I get it. So I, I want to ask you a question though. Um, yeah. I did just want to ask you what, what about this, this, this postseason? you'll, what, give me one or two moments that you'll always remember, you know, 40 years from now, if someone asks you about the 20, 21 Braves, what will you remember? Give me a moment, some moments, one or two moments. Uh, I'll give you one moment per round. I'll give you Freddie Freeman off Josh Hader in game four against Milwaukee. Mm. I'll give you Eddie Rosario off Walker Bueller in game six against LA. I'll give you Jock Peterson off Max Scherzer in game two, I think it was. Mm -hmm. I'll give you game one, Jorge Soler against uh, Romber Valdez. And uh, game six, Jorge Soler again. I mean, all of those moments, Willie, to me, are going to stick with me forever. Because, again, as an Atlanta sports fan, being conditioned to expect something when the clock turns to the postseason in any sport, whether football, baseball, or basketball, being conditioned to expect failure in big moments is part of the existence of Atlanta sports fans. We just expect that at this point. I mean, yes, we're privileged to be there, but it's just expecting that failure, which is the killer, and to see it happen again and again, even when each time thinks, each time makes you think, oh, this will be different. This won't be like this won't be like the last time. This is a different player. It's, it's, and to see it happen over and over and over and over and over again, each one of these moments were, it's it's just another piece of evidence towards the fact that this year was so unlike anything Atlanta has ever seen, and it feels so 
so good that I cannot put it into words. Mm. So it's it's just those those moments that'll live because of where they sit in the context of the Braves, but also in the context of the city of Atlanta. So that's that's the short answer. Yeah. Okay. I guess the only bummer is they didn't win at home. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. If you want to nitpick, like that's the one thing that they could have done differently is is win Game Five. But you know. But no, I mean those are great. Those are all great. Um moments you know those are all great moments and uh like i said i think that that's the it's interesting right because you always see plays right like you always see in baseball i feel like it's always known for plays whether it's a strikeout or a home run like there's always these plays that are replayed throughout history. And like you said, any of those plays, right? I mean, will go down in, in, in history, right? It's in the memory books now, you know? And so the legacy of this team will live on own. And yeah. it's crazy on, cause you're right. I mean, this, one of the few most, you know, they say that one of the coolest things about watching sports is it's unscripted. You don't know what's happened. And yeah. uh, we like, we could die and uh, <laughs> never win, and Atlanta may never win again. So that, that is, I mean, it's morbid. That's a morbid thought, but it's true. It really is. Yeah. Well, um, I'll just say this real quick: that the um, yeah, John Smoltz made a point that it does seem like the World Series, uh, you know, droughts are ending. And by the way, I should apologize. It's now the Cleveland Guardians. I have to remind myself. No offense, man, but um. Back to the droughts. Uh, Cleveland hasn't won since 1948. It's the longest drought remaining. So, um, you know, my dad was was one year old, one years old when when that happened. So, um, I don't think it's going to happen, though. And I, I think the window is shut. And I think they're okay, and they're they're kind of they're good enough to push for the playoffs, but not good enough to win. But uh, it would be nice if they – man, I'll just think about it. Like, I'm not sure it's more agonizing. To be a Cleveland fan, what do you think is more agonizing? Blow a 3-1 lead in the World Series and lose games 6 and 7 at home or be a Texas Rangers fan where you lose games 6 and 7 on the road and you have your talent at the final out <laughs> against – or is it final strike? Even? Final strike. Neftali Feliz need to throw one more strike. <laughs> That's got to be one of the most painful losses to be a Texas Rangers fan, you know? Yeah, no. not not ideal. Not great. Not great. No. Um, but, you know, Willie, we, we have to close the book on this baseball season. It was a great one. You called it from the start. The Atlanta Braves win the World Series and win the World Series. They did. Breaking a 26-year drought for a championship for the city of Atlanta. Again, not including MLS because MLS is kind of a joke. Um, Willie, I, I mentioned this to you over text that this episode was going to be spicy. And the one thing that's going to put it over the top for me is the fact that even with the World Series trophy in his arms, and this is obviously, obviously I know the votes get cast before the postseason, but Austin Riley continues to be one of the most disrespected players in baseball because of the fact that he plays for the Atlanta Braves because his name is Austin Riley. Austin Riley is the MVP front runner. 
this could go down as my hot take. It's it's it is what it read into that what you will. But Austin Riley is the front runner for MVP this year. I don't care what Harper's war is or Soto's OPS is because of the six players, the six players who are now finalists for MVP in both leagues, six of them, Willie, exactly zero played in the postseason. None of them. The two Blue Jays, Simeon and Vladdy, didn't make the playoffs. And Otani. Even Otani couldn't carry the Angels to the postseason. That tells yeah. you what you need to know about the Angels, the state of the Angels right now. They need they need something to go right. Yep. In the National League, Harper, who went, I believe it was 0 for 11 with 8 Ks in his last series against Atlanta in the final series. Uh, Juan Soto, who plays for the Nationals and is the entire Nationals team. Their entire, he is their entire lineup. Um, and Fernando Tatis Jr., who is, I wouldn't say injury prone, but misses time here and there, is exciting, but is also a defensive liability. Austin Riley is none of those things. Austin Riley is a key cog in the machine that is the Braves lineup. Yeah. Austin Riley is a consistent performer. So when Freddie Freeman was struggling early in the year, Austin Riley was still performing. When Acuna went down, Riley still performed. When Albies went down, Riley still performed. When Swanson yeah. dipped, Riley was still there. Most valuable player, Willie, means most valuable. Sure. Means he provides the most to your team. And when he is not playing for your team, your team is going to suffer the most. Yeah. For you to fulfill those criteria, you have to be, number one, on the field. Number two, you have to produce all season, not just the second half of the season. And number yeah. three... You have to be important in your team's success. You have to be a big part of your team's success. The Braves do not make the playoffs if Austin Riley did not have the year he had. No, that's true. I want to add one more thing, though, before I go into the specifics. Okay. Austin Riley is not in this conversation for MVP because he plays in Atlanta. Wow. Four Braves, one Silver Sluggers. Two of them won gold gloves. Zero players are in the top three for MVP. I don't know what you need. What else needs to be said about that? I mean, wow. Let's dive into specifics. Okay, let's let's look at this. I've I've pulled these numbers up via Baseball Reference because you know we got to have some numbers to this. Because apparently my takes are too spicy to not have numbers. But here we go. Austin Riley this year. Had a war of 6.1. Juan Soto's war? 7.1. Give Soto the edge there. Bryce Harper's war? 5.9. Riley has the edge. <laughs> Fernando Tatis's war? 6.6. Okay, about a half game, half game lead over... Uh, half, game, half a win over Riley. Okay, fine. So Soto obviously has the best war. Soto means the most. But Soto is also the best player in his team by a mile. It's not even close. He's the only good player on that team right now. Even Nats fans will, will admit that without Juan Soto, that team is nowhere. I mean, they are kind of nowhere, but he's they're even more in the middle of nowhere without Juan Soto. Juan Soto had an OPS this year of 999, per baseball reference. Harper, 1,044. Tatis, 975. Riley, 898. So Riley had the lowest OPS. Okay. 
That's fair. Riley hit 303. Soto 313. Harper 309. Tatis 282. Tatis led in homers. Harper had 35. Soto had had 29. Riley had 33. Ah, okay. So they're all, you know, in the they're on the ballpark. I mean, Soto maybe had the best offensive numbers. Harper had the highest OPS. Here's the difference, though, and this is the part that no, that apparently people don't want to talk about. Will, let's look at the fielding metrics, okay? And this is a very easy one that I like to look at. It's a very easy metric to understand. Defensive run saved. Basically, how many runs are you worth through about 135 games? Or sorry, no, that's defensive runs. That's per uh, that's per year. Defensive run saved, according to Baseball Reference, Willie. The definition is the number of runs above or below average the player was worth based on the number of plays he made. Okay. Harper and Soto are both outfielders, so their numbers may not mean as much. Riley and Tatis are both infielders, so this number means a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Riley's defensive run saved as a third baseman in 2021 where he played 153 games. 13. Defensive run saved. Let's compare that to the other infielder who's in the top three of MVP voting, Fernando Tatis Jr. Fernando Tatis Jr.'s defensive run saved this year at shortstop at 102 games at shortstop this year. Negative six. That is a difference of 19 runs on the two plays made by two short, by two left-sided infielders. And I'd imagine he wasn't much better when he moved positions because of the no. injury. No, his total defensive runs saved in his career is negative nine. Sure. He is statistically a liability when it comes to his defense. But because he hit 282, he's an MVP candidate. Because he hit 42 home runs, he's an MVP candidate. Because he he had 97 RBIs. Okay, Riley had more RBIs. Riley had a higher batting average and way more defensive runs saved. But he doesn't deserve to be in the conversation. Yeah. Really, I'm 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 not saying there's a vendetta against Atlanta, but let me also add the fact that Brian Snitker did not finish top three in manager of the year voting either. Taking a team that was nowhere at the trade deadline in the after the all-star break, the team was at a negative record. Through eighty-eight games, the team was forty-four and forty-four. Through eighty-eight games. That team won the World Series, Willie. Not just the division, but the World Series. And I get they do the voting before the se- you know, before the postseason starts. Yeah. But, you, I mean, th- those are two pretty obvious guys. At least have them in the top three. And if it's, if it's that they were both fourth by, like, one vote, then something is wrong with the vast majority of baseball writers. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, it's, like, I don't know what more you want from, from those two. I mean, do you want them to cure cancer? Do you want them to stop? And world hunger? Like, what do you want from Austin Riley and Brian Snicker? I, I will say this. I don't have a problem with the Snicker because as good as the Braves were in the second half, they only finished with 88 wins, the least amount of, of a team. And to be honest, I mean, given Atlanta's past, um, I, I think that you could definitely argue that Craig Council and Mike Schilt didn't – they were – performed more over their expectations as a whole 
I'm not saying Brad Snicker is not a better manager, an amazing manager, but purely based on regular season. Um, or um, Gabe Kapler. My gosh, Gabe Kapler. Um, incredible. Like, he's got to be manager of the year, whether it was him or the GM also winning executive year. I mean, the Giants were the biggest story. Oh, uh, yeah. No. I definitely have a big, big problem with the Riley uh, situation. I think. I think there's two things, right? I think number one is, and I'm curious what you think about this. Do you think that there is a bias towards narratives that build up? Because, you know, Bryce Harper and uh, Austin Riley, Austin Riley performed well over the, over the whole season, right? But, but, you know, Tatis didn't perform as well as the season went on. And so one thing is they might have just built up this narrative. But I completely agree with you on the defense. Look, defense is really important. It's a really important part. It's a big reason why the Braves in the World Series. I know it's a regular season work. I Look, I've always been the guy. Thank you for getting on the train that defense matters and should be in consideration for, for, for things, especially when you're a below-average defensive player. It's like, like, come on, right? So I completely agree that that – Austin Riley should totally be in the conversation, you know? And, and so, yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally yeah, agree. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, honestly, how, how everything has panned out for, yeah. for the, the NL MVP. Um, you know, obviously am I getting upset? Am I more upset about this than the, than the brave, the fact that the Braves just won the world series? No, I'm not, but I'm saying that Austin Riley was one of the main reasons the Braves were even in a position to win the World Series, that you have to recognize that as a baseball writer. Yeah. The Braves would not have been in the position they were to be able to have a chance to win the World Series if Austin Riley does not stay healthy and play 156 games. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just, it, it just doesn't happen. And it's funny with Tatis, Harper, and Soto. Harper and Soto had monster second halves. I mean, the splits... Yeah. It's like the inverse of 2019 Cody Bellinger, right? Tatis is kind of like 2019 Cody Bellinger. Crazy good first half and then just fell off a cliff. Yeah, he did. Injuries. Right, so that should matter. That, I think that should totally yeah. matter. And I, 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 I agree. I, it should coincide with the, with the Padres having the worst record in baseball, I think, the second half of the season. Exactly, exactly. And durability is a big part of it, I think, as well. Yeah. I mean, you have to, Yep. Yeah, and I... That's a really good point you made, Owen, because I absolutely think, and this is the case in the NBA, that really drives me crazy. In my personal opinion, I think that the amount of games that you play should be a huge difference in the MVP because part of your best ability, sometimes they say the best ability is availability. And so it's not how well you do when you're there. It's can you play the majority of the games. So... The fact that Tatis missed time from injury, I think, should knock off. And I agree with you, Owen. I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, Harper may win, but I, I totally agree that Riley should at least be in the top three and, and could, could definitely win it, you know? Yeah. No, I – like, look, again, I will not lose sleep over the fact that Riley is not going to be MVP this year because he was the Braves MVP all season consistently. Um Yeah. But it's just it's just frustrating when it seems like I mean and yes and Brian Snitker won in twenty eight he won Manager of the Year in twenty eighteen when no one really expected it Freddie Freeman won MVP last year so it's not like the Braves have not won awards but 
it's just this one the timing of this one and 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 on the heels of the fact that uh you know the fact that they announce mvp after the season you know that to me i mean i i'd say they they should do it like the nfl before the season's over you know before the postseason's over so yeah but that's just me uh, um, yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's a tough. I mean, I think given because it's only for the re- it's only for the regular season too. I mean, the votes are all in before the right. end of the season. So. Right. No, I yeah. It's you're right. It's tough. Um, do you, would you by the way own you would you would you consider him the best third baseman in baseball? Um, I think he's in the conversation, but he's not there yet. I think Arenado still has that category. I, I don't because it's I mean the offensive production isn't obviously what it was when he was in, with the Rockies but how can you take that how can you take the combination of that with his durability and and nine gold gloves will I mean he he makes defensive he makes yeah. defense at third base look like an art coupled yeah. with the fact that he's one of the one of the better power hitters in the game I mean yeah. is he is he as good as he was with the Rockies, no. But you know, we talk about the course field effect and the effect it has on the splits. The splits weren't as bad as you think. No, I mean, but well, it's. I think he's still the best third baseman in baseball. So let me ask you this question, Owen. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna run through some third baseman. I mean, and you tell me whether Breg or he's better than them or not. So Bregman, yes. Uh, Devers, yes. Um, Machado, yes. Wow. Okay, Chris Bryant. Yes. LeMahieu. Did you yes. Okay. Um, Anthony Rendon. Probably yes. in the way he's been playing. Matt Chapman. Yes. Justin Turner. Yes. Okay. Um, would you? How about? Uh, that's probably the only ones that I would. I would. You know, say so. I, you. You. You think Arenado is number one? In my. In my personal opinion, for my taste, I'll go Bregman. But. Uh, I mean, Bregman had number one, not not for the season. No, 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 I, just in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Going forward, I would still, I would still rather probably have Bregman. But if yeah. if if Austin Riley could play at this level, then yeah, I'll take Riley. But... Yeah. No, I I read an interesting article about Austin Riley earlier this year, before the postseason even started, and and why he's been so successful this year, and all of it basically boils down to. And and he's even talked about this himself. Uh, he said, um, "You know, the reason I was I was as successful as I was this year is just I I didn't panic ever. You know, if he he'd have a, a a stretch of the season where he's striking out a lot or just in a bit of a slump, he just doesn't panic. And and to me, conquering that mental bit of it at the major league level, at the professional level, in any sport is the most important part of it because." When Austin Riley came up, he had, I think it was like 19 homers in 45 games. It was something absurd. He was hitting a home run like every other game. And they were, you know, big, big yeah. boy daddy tanks too. They weren't just like little, little cheapies. I mean, he was hitting bombs. And pitchers kind of figured him out a little bit. And they, they found the swing and miss. And he still got that swing and miss. But he figured it out a little bit. And he worked with Chipper Jones and, and his old hitting coach from, I think, uh, Juco or, or might have been high school or something like that. And... Basically, they, they just say the approach is that he doesn't panic. He just kind of focuses on, you know, taking it a day at a time. And if he's in a bit of a rut, not panicking and, and just kind of going back to 
back to basics, if you will, and, and figuring it out. And he ended up turning in a, a solid postseason. He was he wasn't as good as the Dodgers as as maybe he should have been, but yep. you know he still turned in a very very good postseason, better than most most people, I would say. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you you made you made good points. Made good points. So, but that's you know we can go on and on about the awards, and we'll find out next uh, next Thursday who wins MVP in both leagues. Um, really quickly, Willie, I want to I want to briefly mention the other awards because the NL MVP was the only one I had beef with. Um, is there a case in which Shohei Otani does not win AL MVP? Absolutely. Okay, I, no I just want just want to make sure we're on the same page there because I, no I don't think I don't think it's a question. He should be unanimous MVP like that. That to me, I think Flatty Junior will win pretty soon, but not not this year. I mean, yeah, when. Okay, I, I was actually doing this the other day because, uh, you know, subtle plug for my own stuff. Uh, I'm doing a little YouTube series where I'm taking some takes from this show and putting together a little YouTube videos, breaking down those um, those takes statistically. And I did one for Otani. Uh, I've, at least I've done the scripting for it. I haven't actually recorded any of these videos yet, but I have one in the works for Otani. And I looked this up the other day because it's still kind of astonishing to me. Because in the history of Major League Baseball, Willie, the Commissioner's Historic Achievement Award has been awarded to 16 people. Six, Otani is the 16th. These are some names that you may recognize. Okay, you ready? Sure. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Roberto Clemente, Ken Griffey Jr., Tony Gwynn, Ricky Henderson, Derek Jeter, your favorite, Mark McGuire, Cal Ripken Jr., Mariano Rivera, Rachel Robinson, the wife of Jackie Robinson, Vince Scully, the collective 2001 Seattle Mariners, Sammy Sosa, and Ichiro Suzuki. That's it. Those are the only other players who have been who have been who have uh, won who have been handed the Commissioner's Historic Achievement Award. Shohei Otani is the 16th. For, wow. I mean, and 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 if you want to get into the granular bits of it, we could talk about his 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 slash line, which is 257 average. 372 on base, 592 slugging, 46 homers, 100 RBIs, 103 runs and 26 stolen bases, and 155 games. His pitching line, which was here's his pitching line. Um, very good. Nine and two record, 23 starts, a 318 ERA, a 1.09 walks plus hits per inning pitched, 44 walks in 130 and a third innings. 156 strikeouts in 130 and a third innings. For those of you keeping score at home, that's 10.7 Ks per nine, which is stupidly good. Anything higher than nine is really, really good. Especially yeah. for a starter. Yeah. So, I mean, wow. I, yeah, Owen, I, I just... I, I hope that this will be remembered. You know, I I worry that, and except for the true hardcore baseball fans, that because the Angels were so bad, um, and because you know baseball at times struggles with popularity, I I worry that this season is going to be forgotten too much. Yeah, I mean, that's... like, how many people do you think like? Casual fans, you bump into ten years and be like, "Do you remember Otani in twenty twenty one?" Like, yeah, I don't yeah, know. That, 
Well, and 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 we've talked about this before, and and I want to dedicate a good bit of that of my, the video that I'm producing to that time to that subject. Sure. Is is part of the reason that his popularity isn't where it should be in this country right now, is because baseball is not marketed properly. Rob Manfred is so bad at commissioner that he doesn't care about the marketing, or at yeah. least whoever he hired to be in charge of marketing for Major League Baseball is very bad at their job. I mean, we are talking about, I mean, let, let me put this in perspective, Willie. Okay. So in Japan, at the age of 18 is when he started his professional career in Japan. Otani won the, he's won the following between 2013 and 2018. Okay. You ready? Yeah. He's won two Japan professional sports grand prizes, which is basically Japan's like best athlete of the year award. He won that twice Yeah. in five years. He won the Jap the equivalent of the Japanese World Series. He won an ERA title. Wow. He hit bombs left, right, and center. Um, and he was a five time All Star. He's an All Star every single year he played in Japan. Okay. Wow. So it's it's not that he's just some schmuck who had a really good season. I mean, Otani is he by the age of twenty five, he was already a legend in Japan. <laughs> How many athletes can say that they were a, a legend in their home country by the time they were 25? I mean, can you put maybe Messi, Ronaldo, and Pele in that conversation? Maybe. I mean, Pele probably. But the point being, Willie, it's not that it's Otani's fault that he's not getting global recognition for this it's the fact that a baseball is the sport that it is and b the commissioner's office yeah. and the whole blackouts i mean we, we we talked about this in previous episodes blackouts are the dumbest thing to happen in major league baseball oh it's gosh on i'll let you save a lot of that for the for the video but you're absolutely right uh terrible commissioner from a fan perspective the blackouts are terrible and and man now now there's all this talk about in a couple of weeks the uh, collective bargaining agreements going to expire are we going to start next season and not we're going to are we going to have another lockout like we did a couple of years ago I hope like, not all the reports are that it, the negotiations are going to be really tough yeah so that'll just be another black eye on the situation and knowing manfred there probably will be a, a work stoppage yep so, Yep. Manfred is a terrible commissioner. Um, really quickly before we get on the hot takes, Willie, unless you have any final thoughts on any of the awards that are, uh, we haven't really talked about the Cy Young awards, but we'll, we can mention those on the next episode when they're actually given out. I just want to talk about NL MVP because it's like, it's still fresh. The Braves are still, you know, they won the world series like a week and a half ago. So it's still, it's still raw. Um, yeah. yeah. Go you on. have any, any thoughts really quickly? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, what's your opinion about the uh, American League Manager of the Year? Ooh, AL Manager of the Year. Um, it was, what were the choices? I, I think I would have to go with Scott Service. Yeah. I, I think I would. And it, realistic um, winner. And, and I think Dusty Baker will probably win just because he is Dusty Baker because he's he's such a beloved figure in the game that even he is someone who could take some of the heat away from people hating on the Astros. But I think Scott Service should win because how many people, including diehard Mariners fans, I mean, maybe they know better than anyone, how many people had the Mariners have not only a winning record, Willie, but A, 
90 wins and B more wins than the World Series champion Atlanta Braves. How many people had that happening? No. No. And it doesn't just happen because players all of a sudden out of nowhere have good seasons. It's because they have a good manager. Yep. Absolutely. And I think Scott Service is an excellent manager to be able to do what he did with a squad that, you know, I, I think if they spend heavy, they could be good, but they're not right there yet. No, they, yeah, he probably deserves it. What an incredible story. But then again, I just think Kevin Cash, potentially. I mean, I don't care. Like the fact that they're Tampa on that small market and they, in a division, they won a division that featured two playoff, three playoff teams. You know, uh, to being in the wild card, right. and the Toronto who just missed out, so they won a division with all four of those teams. I I would not be upset if, if Kevin Cash won. I mean, yeah, I mean it, it. It obviously wouldn't be the sexy pick. I think I think Scott Service or Dusty would, but yeah, it's it's probably the, it's probably the right choice if if we're honest. I mean, uh, I don't know. I think Scott Service deserves it slightly, but I would not be surprised if Kevin Cash. Uh, yeah i mean let me let me put it this way none of those picks for manager of the year in the american league are bad i mean dusty's not i don't don't think dusty baker is the logical choice no but it's it's not a it's not a bad choice that's what i'm saying it's you know it's 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 an okay one of course of course no absolutely absolutely i've seen some stuff where they say dusty baker will win so we'll see yeah i mean you know it's not like the the national league where i'll be really all that upset if anyone wins, I mean, if Council wins in the National League, I'll be a little upset. But it should be it should be Gabe Kapler. I don't think there's any discussion. It should be Gabe Kapler. Incredible. Um, yep. Well, before we go on to hot takes, I just want to round off some of the uh, going back to Otani. I want to round off some of the accolades he's received this year. You ready? He's one of Times 100 most influential people of the year, Baseball Digest Player of the Year, Sporting News Player of the Year, Players Choice Player of the Year, Players Choice American League Outstanding Player. And then, of course, the commissioner's award to go along with a likely AL MVP. Yep. I mean, if if Vladdy somehow wins, or God, if if Marcus Simeon wins, that would be the upset of all time. Oh, in, in yeah. the MVP. But I don't think you can really argue. You no. just you can't argue against Otani. I mean, you're you're you mean to tell me that someone who is given an award that has only been handed out 15 other times in history yeah. is, is not the most valuable player that le- that year. Like yeah. that, well, that's talk absurd. About, talk about promoting your best players. Yeah. I feel like Commissioner Manfred, if, if the votes are coming in bad, Commissioner Manfred needs to have a conference call with reporters and be like, look, I'm making the league decisions. Yeah. Okay. It's like, I don't, I know this is the baseball writers association award, but this is going to show Otani. Oh my yeah. lord! Um, well, hopefully the Angels sign like um, Max Scherzer or something like that in free agency <laughs> and become a good team. Yeah, I mean that that AL West the there's going to be a power shift in the in that division this year. The Rangers are going to spend big. The Angels are probably going to spend on someone. Um, and then you know the Astros have the target on their back. The A's are kind of kind of go backwards, and the Mariners are probably going to spend on someone. So that's going to be a division to watch next year. We'll, we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I kind of want to have uh, have Reese on the podcast next next year when we do our preview. Yeah, because um, I, I think he'd be a good a good Mariners fan to oh, to talk to. Absolutely. On the heels of uh, on the heels of ninety wins, anyways. Mm-hmm. 
Anyways, Willie, we would be remiss if we ignored an entire show and didn't have uh, it ignored hot takes for an entire show. But we need to we need to get those takes out there. I have one. It's pretty brief. Okay. Um, it involves a uh, a bit of news that came out today, this morning, so Thursday the uh, the eleventh. Uh, Steven Gerrard named manager of Aston Villa. Yep. Uh, I think he's going to go longer at Aston Villa than Lampard did at Chelsea. Oh, I agree. And are they going to finish top four? No, they're not going to finish top four. But you know, I, I think they'll be they'll be a good, exciting team to watch. And you know, for for everything for everything we know about Stevie G, that Liverpool footprint of like of just the the way that he coaches his teams is very. I don't want to say it's Klopp esque, but he learned a lot of that from Klopp. I mean, you don't just coach the academy and not spend any time around Klopp. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and also like if you had a guy at Jurgen Klopp at your football club or your company, wouldn't you want to just have a beer with him anyways? Just pick his brain a little bit. Like, I mean, if he was a CEO of my company, I'd try to I try to get a beer with him. Are you kidding me? Uh, but yeah, no, I think I think they'll be they'll be one of the more exciting teams to watch. They have a, a very sneaky, they have a very sneaky good uh, squad. Yeah, and I think Stevie could be the right manager to to really get a lot of those players playing their best. I completely agree. I think it's a perfect situation. You know, he he like you said, he got a chance to coach the Liverpool U18s. Um, I also read that. You know, he got the advice from Klopp to go somewhere, quote-unquote, away from the cameras. So he got to go to Rangers. Not only did an exceptional job at Rangers, but really got to work on his management. And he was there for mm-hmm. a full three years. So he's going to come in with much more experience than Lampard. And to a team that has underperformed expectations, but it's a very talented, exciting squad. Yep. And so... With good ownership and good yep. fans, I think it's a very good situation, and um, it's perfect. I mean, he's got. I think you know, maybe he could have stayed longer. I know Jamie Carragher thought that, but um, yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, if he's ready, Bill is a perfect club, and man, um, look, I let's be honest, I don't think that. I can't see. I don't think Gerard will 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 be the post club Liverpool manager. No. Um, I think that that club is too big, and as good as manager Steven Gerrard is, there are only so few managers that are just such a genius where they can be, you know, not at more than all these clubs before they go to a club like that. Right. So, but. I mean, he could definitely position himself to be one of the better managers if he does well at Villa. So yeah. I think it's a, a very wise take. Um, to be and honestly, I think Lampard go potentially going to Norwich um, is a great mm. situation too because the club doesn't have high expectations. They always get relegated, promoted, but they've shown that they're willing to <laughs> stick with their manager for a long time. And so yeah. I think Lampard will get stability there and maybe he can bring them up assuming they get relegated and then have them stay. So yep. I think he, it's a great job uh, for him. Yeah, I, I think he said he wants to manage Liverpool someday, but he, he had the very respectful answer of saying, like, 
no, I don't want to. I don't want the the Liverpool job right now. Klopp is your manager. I think we need to get behind Klopp. Like you know, obviously this is when he was still at Rangers. He was like Klopp is a manager. We need to get behind Klopp. Stay behind him. He's the guy. I would like to manage the club someday. You know, being a boyhood Liverpool fan, but you know, I'm not the. I'm not doing that right now. I'm focused on Rangers. Um, and now with Aston Villa, it's like okay, he's going to get some Premier League experience. He wants to manage Liverpool soon. I think they're probably going to go to one other manager before Gerrard because they don't want. I mean, they've obviously seen what happened at Chelsea with Lampard. I mean, obviously Lampard is still a Chelsea legend, but yeah. you know we've we've seen in history managers who were who were legends at their clubs and have it not turn out well. I mean, Zidane is maybe the one example where it actually went really well. I mean, you, you think of other other club legends managing right. their clubs. Yeah, it doesn't always go well. No, I agree. And Liverpool is not the kind of club where they'll they want instability yeah so chelsea wasn't afraid to bring lampard in because they're willing to fire him but yeah well doesn't want him to no so i agree i mean so what do you think three years four years i think i think three years is a is a good a good number and i think he'll probably go to he'll probably go to some other european club first if liverpool doesn't uh need a manager right away but it's 2021 now you figure you sign a three-year contract so he'll you know three years from now be 2024 cloth will be gone by then Klopp's gonna leave at the end of his contract. I mean, unless he decides, you know what, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna pull an Arsene Wenger and be here for life, um, or until they force me out. Uh, and then, you know, maybe, maybe Gerard after that. But I, I can't see Gerard being within the next five years. And I, you know, again, maybe this is a hot take five years from now. Maybe we'll look back at this and go, oh no, you were wrong. Um, I'm just excited though, folks. Mark your calendars, December 11th, one month from today, Liverpool Aston Villa. At uh, who's home? Uh, I think it's at Anfield, actually. Wow. Okay. I want to. I want to double check that before I say anything wrong. That's awesome. But I know the next time they play each other is December eleventh. Applause, right? He'll get an applause for sure. He'll get. I mean, people are gonna sing Steven Gerrard songs throughout the whole game. December eleventh at Anfield. At Anfield. Wow. That'll be something. That'll be something. That'll yeah. Be something. Jeez, that's my. Uh, that's actually my grandma's birthday too. So. Oh, okay. Happy birthday to the late great Peggy Howe. Uh, Missy Gabby. Wow. Okay. My grandma. Okay. All right, Willie. What do you got for us? All right. Yeah, I got a couple. Um, the first one is not a exactly a hot take, but I think it's interesting one. Yeah. Um, I think that the my man Carlos Cray is going to sign up the Dodgers. So I think the Dodgers are going to pay huge money for Carlos. Whoa! Whoa! It should be. You're you're coming here and saying that's not a spicy take, Willie. That's one of the spicier takes you've had lately. <laughs> you think Carlos Correa will be welcomed by Dodgers fans? Oh yeah, my god! I mean, if you care about team chemistry, I'm not. I'm. Just, they're probably not a fan of Carlos Correa. No, but that, no, that it's so spicy though to say that that's going to happen or to predict that that might happen, like. <laughs> Yeah, but you look at, well, okay. I didn't think it was that spicy to take. I mean, no. one of the few teams that can afford him. Right, but like, think about think about what like who he is. It's like the two teams that that would hate Carlos Correa, just with every fiber of their being. The two teams would be the Yankees and the Dodgers, because they're the two teams who are directly victims of the sign stealing scandal. And who is one of the biggest, most outspoken, unapologetic people when it comes to the sign stealing scandal? A one Carlos Correa. 
Yeah. That's a ballsy take. I like it. I will laugh really hard if it happens, if either I mean, one of those things happen. Realistically, I think a lot of the odds say that the Yankees are more likely than the Dodgers, but hmm. I, I, you know. I've, I've heard the Tigers are a big one for Correa, oh, which is kind of funny because yeah. the, the Tigers are kind of. I mean, Josh, he'd have to. He'd have to really – they'd have to pay, overpay so much for him to want to go to Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> Unless he really loves A.J. Hinch. Yeah. I mean, he probably, like, maybe oh, A.J. Hinch is like, hey, man, I got another sign-stealing scandal. This one's a lot more efficient, and they're not going to get caught. We're not going to get caught this time. Wow. Uh, A.J. Hinch claiming he didn't know what was going on. He knew exactly what was going on. Oh, of course he did. 100%. That, like, talk about lo- – Okay, we're not going to trash the Astros. They just lost the World Series. I mean, it's the perfect time to trash them, but we're not going to spend the whole episode doing it. I'm trying to wrap this episode down, but anyways. Willie, what do you got for us? What, what's your second take? Okay. The first one wasn't spicy. You, yeah, I, I, I didn't even think it was, it was that spicy. It's too spicy, bro. <laughs> no, it's okay. Okay. Um, so here's my, uh, here's my second take. It's yeah. not even... I don't even think it's that hot a take, but I predict that we have... Uh, a work stoppage in baseball that lasts multiple months of the season. That's that's a take I wish you didn't have, but I, I'm not well, going to disagree because resume till June. Not another COVID esque season. So I think we're going to have another short. <laughs> Do you think there's a chance that happens? I think there is. Yeah. Well, what I've read is that it does not look good right now. Yeah. No, I same thing on I you know, I I don't know you know, so it, it's um, it's challenging. Um, okay, here's my uh here's my last here's my uh, last take on. Final take. What do you got for us? Okay, um, my take is that. <laughs> okay, Are you ready for this one? I'm ready for it. Bring it. Okay. This might be one of the most absurd things that um, I've, I've said. Maybe not. Maybe, you know, maybe you think so. But, um, all right, I think that next year, I'm going to say top 10 AL MVP will be Joey Gallo. I mean... You know, if he can cut down on the strikeouts, he's a gold glove right fielder, you know, and he's got the power. And there were parts of the year where he was showing signs of hitting, you know, above the Mendoza line. No, I'm kidding. He's a better, he's a better hitter than that. Um, no, I, I there was, there's signs for sure. Not much. I mean, let's be honest, bro. He's never hit. I pulled up his stats, bro. Bro, he's never hit above. 253. That was his best batting average. Well, I mean, you know, that's it's one for it's one for four. You know, it's it's not horrendous. It's not good. It's not horrendous. Um, no, I think he's got a good glove. Like you said, he walks a lot. Yeah, so So, I I don't think that's a I think it's more I just think he's more likely to become Chris Davis than he is to become MVP. (laughs) Oh no. I, I I like look. The last two seasons on, he's hit 223 and 160. 
and yeah. been pretty bad. So I don't know, man. I think I'm, I'm feeling a Joey Gallo breakout season. You know, okay. Well, look, he's a he's a two time All Star and he's a two time Gold Glover. So you know, that's got to that's got to mean something. Maybe it's not as hard to pick. Yeah, I mean, okay. To be fair, also to provide a little more potential spice to your take, he has struck out uh, two hundred around two hundred times, three times in his career. Yeah, two thousand two thousand seventeen, at one hundred ninety six strikeouts. 2018, 207, oh, and then this year, 213 strikeouts. But he walked 111 times. So he was really the three true outcomes this year. Walk, strikeout, home run. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, he's uh, he'd probably be on pace for, if he kept it up, top strikeout all time. By the way, did you know all time Justin Upton is in the top 10 strikeouts? That does not surprise me. Yeah. He he did strike out a lot with Atlanta. Yeah, did so, strike out quite a bit. Chris Davis, number seventeen. Uh, not not great, not great. But anyways, Willie, I think those are some pretty spicy takes. I don't know your your Correa take though. That would be I, that would be really funny if it happened. I'm talking about as this if you don't count A Rod as the best shortstop of all time. If you don't count A Rod. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Look, he had some hits in the World Series. It'll only pad his resume. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, before we go, actually, Willie, I wanted to mention this to you. You thought uh, Eddie Rosario was robbed of World Series MVP. I looked yes. up his numbers. They're not all that flattering for him. He really? hit 227, a 346 on base, and a 318 slugging percentage. Yeah, but he scored runs in most games. Yeah, I'm a bit, I mean, Six you games. look at that. He scored he six. Sorry, go ahead. I think in every game but one, he scored a run. That's fair. I mean, he had, uh, let's see. He scored, he scored five runs. You know, five I runs, mean, six games. So, yeah, hmm. it's not outlandish. But also the 664 OPS compared to Solaire's slash line of 300, 391, 800 slugging for an 1191 OPS. Okay, yeah, that's fair. So enough. I think I think Soler game six earned him the MVP, and it was basically on his home run alone. So yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, all that's to say, the Braves are world champs, Willie. I never thought it was going to happen. At least I didn't think it was going to happen. Now, certainly not with this team, but it did, and uh, we're here now. So wow. Braves are world champs. The 2021 MLB season is officially in the books, and the awards are just starting yeah. to come out now. I just want to say one thing real quick. Yeah. <laughs> that was the best alright so like the only two it's interesting right out of the 30 MLB teams if Solaire hits are we talking about that home run if it's not in Minute Maid Park or like Fenway Park because the the distance was so long and it was scorched like the exit velocity but like the fact because of the way Minute Maid Park is and there's not much space in the field and because uh, it doesn't go back far. The ball went out. And so it would have done the same. I wonder, even with the monster, because plenty of people hit it over the monster, I wonder if it was any other ballpark, would we have been talking about the home run the same way? I think so. I, I mean... Because, like, the ball, it wouldn't have looked as cool. Like, the ball would have been still hit as far. But we've been like, oh, he crushed it. But now it's like, wow, he hit it outside the park. Yeah, I mean, but I think I think people that people factor that into into the... 
their ana- their you know analysis of it, if you will. Uh, with, I mean, say say you hit that in Atlanta. I mean, that's probably off the facade of the second deck on the fly. Yeah. I mean, and and we're not we're not talking like it it kind of grazed it on the way down. We're talking on the on the way up. That thing hits the 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 facade of the upper deck, if not it like all the way into the upper deck. Yeah. Uh, Yankee Stadium, same deal. St. Louis, same deal. Same deal. Uh, Safeco or uh, uh, what is it? T-Mobile Park in Seattle now. It's probably over that that first uh, little row of bleachers and left. Yeah. Um, I mean, where else? We're talking. I mean, back of the bleachers, out of Wrigley, probably. Back of the bleachers in um, at the the White Sox Stadium. Um, upper deck for sure, or the the upper part of the bleachers in Cleveland. I mean, dude, that home run was smashed. <laughs> it was. Okay. Just the I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's just the the whole that home run won us the World Series. It was the greatest home run ever hit. Kind of bias, but yeah, it was. Uh, but folks, that's all for episode forty five of Hot Takes Only. Um, I wanted I I was looking at the episode number before we started, and I wish this was episode forty four because there's a fun stat: the Braves, uh, Hank Aaron, obviously number forty four, won uh, forty four games. In this in um, the second half of the year, forty four games in the first half of the year, they were forty four and forty four at one point in the season. Um, they scored forty four runs in the postseason. There was forty four just all over the place, uh, yeah. and just you know, losing Hank Aaron this year was really tough for the for the organization. But this yeah. this was a World Series for Hank Aaron, so um, you know it, it's just so many so many forty fours everywhere, and just good to see that a true icon of the game got the, I guess, widespread appreciation and recognition that he really deserved. And um, yeah. hopefully the Braves did him proud. Oh, I hope so too. So sad. You know, yeah. really, really sad. Uh, but anyways, folks, that is episode 45 of hot takes only. Remember you can get this podcast anywhere. You get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon. I don't even know where else have podcasts and also on the hosting website. Yeah. What's that? World Series champions on their World, World Series, Series champions. champions. World Series champions. Um, you get this podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, uh, that is Apple. Uh, anywhere you get your podcast, really, plus the hosting website, anchor.fm slash hot takes only. That's all one word. Today, we showed our appreciation for not only the Atlanta Braves winning the 2021 World Series, but also for Willie, our dear friend and co-host, calling a Braves victory on January 14th, 2021. And as a reminder, here's what he said. Okay, so I'm I'm picking the Braves to win the World Series. Oh, no. No, Jinx. <laughs> oh, I just think they were... One Please don't make a good case. Today. I think Charlie Morton is that piece. I think in the emergence of Ian Anderson, they're going to get Soroka back. They have... They were... Oh, and sometimes, you know, it's uh, watching sports enough, right? Teams that are good enough to win, they just need to break through. And the Braves did break through. Now, they didn't win a World Series, but they broke through. They got the monkey off their back. They won a playoff series. And they came very close to making the World Series and very easily could have won it. (sighs) This is the year. I I think this is the year. Uh, so, folks, we'll be back next week, same time, same place. Next week will be our last episode before the Thanksgiving holiday. 
uh, assuming that life does not get in the way and, and prevent us from being able to do that. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll have another update on the Premier League because the Premier League, I think, will be will be back by the next time we. No, 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 it won't be. It won't be next week. We'll be we'll preview. We'll preview Steven Gerrard's first game as Aston Villa manager. Yeah. What? What a time we live in, Willie. Steven Stevie G is a Premier League manager. Have, what a time. Uh, Steven Gerrard and maybe Lampard and Eddie Howe. So. Uh, Eddie, Howe, we haven't talked about Eddie Howe either. Oh my yeah. god, I forgot that that actually was uh that was that happened too recently. So that's also a lot of fun. So folks, thanks for listening. Episode 45 of Hot Takes Only is now in the books. We'll see you next time.